Welcome to the Grave Plot Podcast. Alright kids, and welcome back to the Grave Plot Podcast. I'm Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. We are on episode 56. Indeed. Just keep cranking them out. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yep. That's the universal song of... Cranking work, it out. Work. <laughs> we're, not, we're not cranking it out. I was gonna say, that doesn't play when I pound it off. <laughs> You don't just li- listen to that in your head. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> no, but thank you for the uh, <laughs> for the visual. For the, well, I was gonna say for the um, uh, the pantomime, the the generous the generosity of the length. <laughs> oh, <laughs> according to Taylor, I have a twelve inch cock. No, you don't do it slow. <laughs> uh yeah. So, um, what's new with you? Uh, not a lot. I had a fucking hell of a week. Yeah, you were sick as a dog, weren't you? I was sick last weekend, yeah, uh, Saturday through Tuesday. And then I think I just tried to go from zero to 60 too fast, and then yeah. so now I'm kind of like, okay, just settle down. <laughs> Let's take it down a notch. Uh, yeah, you still think it was the flu, or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that, and it's like, I don't remember how long ago it was that I last had the flu. I mean, a long time ago. But I swear, last time I had it, I was down for a week. And you seemed to bounce back in a few days. So, good for you. I Like, like I said, I have a, a pretty good immune system. I don't get sick often, so. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like... Uh, of course, then when I do, it's, you know, some... Arabian flu or something that they've never heard of. And <laughs> you you get like Ebola and, and stuff. Well, I mean, like when I was in, I want to say fifth grade, I got this uh, muscular disease. I was in a wheelchair for a couple of days. Oh shit! I didn't yeah. know about that. Yeah. <laughs> God, I've known you a decade, and I didn't know that. It's fucked up. Yeah, hella fucked up. Yeah. I had like little spots all over my body. We went to the emergency room and they were like, oh, that's a weird looking rash. And then we went to just like our family doctor and he knew exactly what it was. <laughs> never, People never give the, uh, the, the right amount of. Uh, oh, this, it's going to be another one of those episodes where <laughs> I can't think of the word I want to say. Uh, you can't downplay the, the skill of, of the little man. Yeah. Um. Of course, the emergency rooms, it seems like they kind of just want to get you out, crank you out as quickly as possible. Yeah. And charge you a fucking fortune, your family nest egg. Of course. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Uh, no, not really. All right. Well, um, not a, not a lot for me. I've, I keep forgetting to mention that I finished uh, Nosferatu by Joe oh, the Hill. Joe Hill book yeah that was a while ago like two episodes have gone by that I forgot to mention that how was it it was pretty good I really liked it yeah yeah it was a uh, real like I don't want to say nail biter but it, like it really had me like wanting to know what happens next and you know just, and it was kind of it was one of those books where I was like disappointed when it was over nice yeah so I mean if 
I, I'm worried that, you know, we talked about them doing a TV show for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or was it a movie? Or a miniseries? Uh, I think it might be a miniseries. Okay, that, I mean, that would make the most sense, because this is not something you could sum up in a movie. But at the same time, you, it wouldn't be good for a full-length TV show, especially an ongoing one. So mm. miniseries would be the best fit. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was really well done, and I'm, I'm just concerned that it's going to fall uh, victim to the same thing that all of his dad's work does. Like, they just make a really poorly done miniseries or movie about it, and it's, just, it's concerning because it's a really fucking good book. Yeah. Um, my dad, my dad, my dad really liked it too. And I kind of got his advice about it first before I, before I got into it. And, uh, he had this, it's a, a graphic novel. Um, it's kind of like a, um, uh, a prequel or a precursor to the book. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's about the villain, uh, Charlie Manx. Interesting. And kind of how he came to be. Um, but, uh, yeah, since then, I mean, like I said, it's been, at least a month since I finished that, but since then I went on to Salem's Lot and finished that. Um, uh, and you know I've seen the the TV movie, which I think a lot of people like our age don't realize that was a TV movie. Um, and uh, it, it's I'd never read the book before, so it was weird to see how different it was. Yeah. Um. But uh, that, I mean that was pretty good and. Um, then after that, I went back to Joe Hill and I did Horns, um, which was honestly I think that was one of the few books that you can actually that well that I would actually say the movie was better. Oh yeah, yeah. Because and you know I've actually again I talked to my dad about this after I'd finished it and I said you know there were there's parts where it seemed to drag on a little too much and there were. A lot of flashbacks that just all of a sudden it was a flashback like there was no precursor to it it was just like the next chapter oh it's a flashback and you kind of had to pick up on that mm, yeah that sounds annoying yeah and um anybody that's seen the movie you, and you, you've seen it obviously but you remember his, Ig's friend lee uh the lawyer oh yeah yeah in this he's actually um uh, he works for a congressman. He's not a lawyer. Oh, okay. But so much of the book focused on him, and it's just like, okay. I mean, I know he's 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 an important character, and I get that. But I don't need to know this much about him. Hmm. It, like everything that you're saying about him, you summed up real quick. <laughs> I don't need to know about his childhood. I don't care. It's it's inconsequential to me. My dad basically took the words out of my mouth and said it should have been a short story. It, oh, really? it really shouldn't have been a full novel because there's there's just so much of the middle just of the book padding and filler pretty much and i mean b- between that and the flashbacks and so much talk about lee it's like oh god dude it's like i mean the 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 beginning when ig first you know sprouts the horns and starts to figure out how much influence he has over people and then the ending the ending was way better than the movie oh yeah yeah different uh slightly yeah but um, enough to where it's like, oh man, this is how the movie should have ended. Hmm. Um, but I mean, all in all, it was, it was very good. Um, and uh, then, uh, but so after that, now I'm 
currently um, on uh, Joe Hill's first book, Heart Shaped Box. And uh, I'm still deciding how I feel about that. It's, it's much different than Horns and Nosferatu. As where, you know, like Horns and Nosferatu, they're both about these relatively young central characters. I mean, you had Ig in Horns, and you had um, uh, Vic, or Victoria, in uh, Nosferatu. Ig's in his mid-twenties. Vic is in her early to mid-thirties. Relatively young. This guy in um, the main character in Heart Shaped Box, his name is Jude. He's like an old rock star. Mm. And um, he he's he's like fifty four. Oh wow! Yeah, so it's it's a it's a much different dynamic. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm still fairly early on in the book, and so I'll wait to pass judgment until I finish it. But uh, oh, something fucking tragic happened the other day. Oh. Uh, so I'm in taking a shit. Okay. I like where this is going. <laughs> Yeah, do you? <laughs> this is a great start to a story. <laughs> and I look down, and I see this... Blood everywhere. Gl- this glimmer coming from my bush. A f- you got a gray bush? I, I got a fucking gray puke, man. <laughs> oh, man. 30 years old, and I have a fucking gray pube. I don't even have gray pubes yet. Fuck. I mean, I've I've started... You know, I've seen some kind of speckling in my hair. Yeah. Like some, some gray hair on my head. Um, and I have, I've had a, like, like a gray patch right here. Actually, it's not so much there anymore. <laughs> it's so thinned out, but, um, but I had, I got that in like high school. Oh yeah. Just a little, just a tiny little patch right there. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. I get little, little glimmers every once in a while. I get them in my beard. Really? Yeah. That's something I haven't noticed yet is gray facial hair. I have not found a gray pube yet, though. This was my first, and I was, I just kind of mortified. St- a little, I kind of, <laughs> I, I stared at it for a while. <laughs> it's like, where the fuck you, did you come? You from? don't watch the league, right? Not regularly, no. <laughs> One of the guys finds a gray pube. He's like, "No, you're not <laughs> supposed to be here yet." <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and then he tries to diet, and like he he grabs the box. He goes, "Is this for vaginas?" <laughs> Oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. But it's like, you know, I saw it there, and I'm just like, and then I envisioned all of it being gray. I'm like, <laughs> that would look fucking weird. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, well, if the day comes when that ever happens, it's going away. <laughs> I'm just going to... You're just going to baby bug. boy it? <laughs> not not to that extreme, no. Oh. Just give it a you know a crew cut. <laughs> uh, we have fun on the show. We talk about things like this. Yep. <laughs> not really. I don't think we ever talked about pubes before. I, I think this is a first. Yeah. <laughs> I had a couple of buddies in high school that all dyed their pubes. Wh- why? I they thought it was funny. What, they dye it like weird colors yeah like purple and like bright red okay well uh back when i still had a 
membership to Suicide Girls. There were a few on there that they would like. They had like little landing strips, and they'd dye them. Like there's this one. That, yeah, I mean that makes sense. I guess if you're gonna be showing it off, sure. Yeah, but then you just—I mean, if you just got like a fucking bush, it just looks like you got fucking clown wig in your <laughs> pants. <laughs> yeah, that's a little weird. Um. Anyway, but uh, yeah, so the women's the women's out. Yep. For the weekend, fucking guy time. Just yep. broing out. We're just gonna just you know jerk each other off. Yeah. Crack some broskies. Broskies, bro. I don't know. Go beat up some nerds. <laughs> uh, are we? Are we keeping any anything? A, this sounds bad. Are we keeping anything <laughs> a secret? No. Okay. Well, Taylor's here at my apartment, and later on, we're going to be recording a new drunken cinema. Finally. Yeah. It's been. I find myself though not being that excited about it anymore why because <laughs> all i think about is all right so i need to make sure i drink lots of water take aspirin before i go to bed because <laughs> it's, it's not like yes we're gonna do drunk stuff it's like fuck i'm gonna be so hungover tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> well that's the thing because you know i think we both need to go to the store later to pick up some booze i'm thinking we should also get some bottles of pd light and probably drink them tonight before we go to sleep mm, probably a good idea yeah yeah yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, I think I'm gonna bust out the old Periscope when we get started. So. Not as we watch the movie, obviously, because that's clearly copyright infringement issues. But sure, and nobody wants to watch us sit here being fucking slack jawed and drunk. No, they just want to listen to it. <laughs> we're funnier than we're, we're funnier to, to listen to than to look at. <laughs> Maybe you, I, I am. You're not. You're pretty funny to look at. Yeah, you're funny looking. <laughs> Got you good, you fucker. <laughs> Idiot. Hold on. My wife keeps texting me. I need to find out what she's saying. My wife. My wife. All right. Well, anything else? Uh, I mean, we could talk about Deadpool, but... I, I kind of want to talk about Deadpool. <laughs> How fucking good is Deadpool? It's so fucking good! Like I told you, I want to... When the Blu-ray comes out, I want to buy it. I want to keep it under my pillow. I want to. I want to marry it. <laughs> I want to put my dick in it. Taylor now doesn't hate Ryan Reynolds anymore. <laughs> Long-time listeners know what that's about. He's vindicated himself for Amityville Horror. <laughs> but yeah, seriously, that was it. Was so fucking perfect. Well, like we were talking about the other day, like not only is it just a great character to begin with, mm-hmm. but they they adapted it perfectly yeah that's how you take source material and adapt it to the big screen and don't fuck things up yeah and i mean granted they they i don't want to say took some liberties but they they changed his backstory a little bit yeah but it 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 just it flowed so perfectly Mm -hmm. and i mean they they captured the character like backstory aside the character himself was just dead nuts perfect yeah um and yeah, the only thing, and I, I think we're probably talking about this later in the show, is you know it's a rated R movie, and that's that's great. I mean, a rated R superhero movie, it's been long overdue. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
but now it's 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 opening the doors to a lot more rated R movies, and that is not necessarily a good thing. As much as it sounds like it is, it's just meh. yeah. Because now I feel like it's opening the door for movie studios to just make rated R movies for the sake of making a rated R movie, not because the movie calls for it. Yeah, but I would rather do them do that than try and pussify it just to make it PG thirteen. Sure, but anyway, but yeah, that is something we're going to get into later. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. So if there's nothing else, should we just do some horror business? We shall. Starting out with some real world horror, we're going. I want to say, this is my favorite real world horror story of all fucking time. It's really fucking good. <laughs> uh, we're gonna go to uh, Patos, Brazil, where. <laughs> now follow me here. A little monkey. It looked like maybe a capuchin. Maybe, but it was brown and not black and white. True. But, you mean, a a small monkey. Yeah. A a tree-dwelling monkey. Yes. Um, Tell your mom to shut the fuck up. Don't you say that. (laughs) Now's not the time, Mom. So, this little monkey... (laughs) (laughs) Like the little sneaky shit that he is, snuck into a bar, pounded a glass (laughs) of rum, and got shithoused... Then he stole a knife. (laughs) (laughs) And then he chased a bunch of people in the bar around. Scared the shit out of them. He just Michael Myers them. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking knife. And then he got onto the roof. (laughs) And had a standoff with the cops. And the best part of watching this, because there is a video, is him up on the roof, pacing back and forth, and just stabbing at the shingles (laughs) with a knife. Say, monkey, come down from there. No! (laughs) Fuck your roof! (laughs) So... he was finally disarmed, although I, I'm not really sure how, because a monkey with a knife is unpredictable. <laughs> <laughs> and he was released back into the wild. Then he broke into a house <laughs> <laughs> and started attacking the people living there. <laughs> Luckily, this madman was apprehended and is currently in custody. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, fuck. (laughs) So they're going to remake Monkey Shines based on this. (laughs) So good. It's like a real life, like murder in the Rue Morgue. (laughs) 
Uh, little drunk bastard. <laughs> Guys, seriously, you got to check out this video. Like, just, I'm sure, sure if you go to Google or YouTube or something, just Google drunk knife monkey. Yeah. You're going to find it. <laughs> oh, shit. So good. It's so funny. It's not. I guess that much of a horror story since nobody really got murdered with the the knife or anything. But this is too good not to talk about. Are you sure it's not horror? I mean, it is a monkey with a knife chasing people around. It's funny, <laughs> but it's terrifying because you you don't know what he's going to do. And monkeys are fast. Monkeys are fast as shit. And, I don't and he was drunk. Yeah. I don't think a fucking six ounce knife is going to th- slow him down much either. He got to a roof with it. Yeah. (laughs) And he can hold it with his tail if he wants. Oh, shit. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. He'd be like a fucking scorpion. (laughs) (laughs) Drunk one. (laughs) They can climb trees. (laughs) Oh, shit. Okay. Well, that's that story. (laughs) Let's press on. So it looks like they're going to start moving forward on another Hellraiser sequel. Even though we don't want them to. Well, that's better than another remake. Is it? <laughs> well, we'll see. Well, actually, you know, I assume you're talking about um, Dimensions. Was that what it was called? I think so. I don't know. The last one they made where Doug Bradley didn't play Pinhead. That actually was a sequel. That wasn't a remake. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, fuck. and the only reason they made it was to hold on to the rights. I mean, but I mean that's that's a pretty well covered story at this point. Yeah. Uh, anyways, this one is going to be titled Hellraiser Judgment, and it's going to star Heather Langenkamp, who you might remember from A Nightmare on Elm Street, one through one and three. One and three, not not two. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> the second one was the gay one. <laughs> oh yeah. There's no women in it. <laughs> Like Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross. <laughs> uh, Langenkamp said, I actually have an opportunity to play a small part in Hellraiser, the new Hellraiser. I'm so excited about it. I go next week to the shooting. The script is amazing, and that I got the part is something that I find incredible. Uh, this new Hellraiser is going to be directed by Gary Tunnicliffe, who did all the makeup for all these years, as Langenkamp eloquently put it. Uh, they gave him an opportunity to direct the movie. I think it's going to be pretty outstanding. I mean, you know, you let a makeup artist direct a movie. Sometimes you get Night of the Living Dead 1990. Sometimes you get Pumpkinhead. Who directed Pumpkinhead? Stan, uh, Stan Winston. Uh which not makeup necessarily does more creature effects, but yeah. <laughs> Nicotero's a pretty good director, though. True enough, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a hit and miss thing. I mean, this is true. Uh, just like Dimensions, this one will not star Doug Bradley, although this time it's kind of by Doug Bradley's own choice. Uh, per a Facebook post on Doug's Facebook, he said, 
Gary said he would send me a copy of the script when he had completed a second draft, but before I could be allowed to set eyes on the precious document, I was required to sign a gagging order. That means a gag order, but it's Doug Bradley. <laughs> He's British. Um, <laughs> they say things differently. Uh, this was a three-page document preventing me from talking about the script, quote, in restrooms, on elevators, in restaurants, or in cellular telephone conversations, which may be overheard. There was also a dark reference to, quote, people talking out of turn at conventions. I read this thing in disbelief and informed Gary I would not be signing it. Anyway, story short, a new movie is happening and I have nothing to do with it. I was unable to make a decision about it because I was not allowed to read the script, unlike Revelations, not to mention Revelation, yeah. Uh, where I made a conscious decision not to do the movie based on the movies for making, based on the motives for making it and the poor quality of the script, and that's everything. Have you seen Revelations? I have not. It's so fucking bad. That is what I have heard. And that's why I have not seen it. It's, oh my god! I mean, Doug Bradley made some shit Hellraiser movies, <laughs> but this one was so bad. <laughs> uh. No official word yet on the new Pinhead, but Tunnicliffe says that the new Pinhead is a classically trained stage and film actor who brings a great physical presence and more than a hint of Peter Cushing and Ralph Fiennes. He also says that Judgment is not a rehashing of an old script, nor was it rushed into production. It's a completely original piece, and so far it's looking pretty amazing. I know we can never make a film as great as the first two Hellraisers. I wouldn't even attempt to do so. But I think we have a fun script here and an opportunity with an amazing cast and crew to give you all something that feels a little familiar, a little different, completely terrifying, and is worthy is a worthy part of the Hellraiser canon. Oh, and of course, if you want blood, well, you've got it. If you want blood, you got it. <laughs> I gotta tell you, you know, he seems really hyped up about it excited doesn't give me the warm and fuzzies <laughs> because I'm convinced that it's gonna suck uh, I'm not gonna hold out hope for it yeah. I mean you know I'm a horror guy so I'll probably see it I don't anticipate liking it yeah <laughs> I was never that into the Hellraisers I, I wasn't really either um, I re- I mean I I like the first two obviously like like Tunnicliffe mentioned um, they're really good um, the third one Hell on Earth wasn't that great but it was okay um, and then uh, Bloodlines which is the fourth or fifth one I I'm not sure um, everybody says it's Hellraiser in space and it kind of was. But it, that's mainly like there's a part of the story that's in the future, and it's on a space station, and there's a there's a purpose to that. It's not just like oh, like whenever you go to space, you know, it's like oh, we're out of ideas, let's go to space. Yeah, there was a purpose to it being in space, and I three quarters of the movie takes place in different points in time. Like, it starts back when the Lamarchan um, uh, config. Oh, my God. The puzzle box. Was it Lamarchan configuration? I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> start, like, it starts with 
when that was created by Le Marchand, who's a, a, a toy maker. Have, have you seen it? And, uh, I don't think I've seen that one, no. Oh, okay. Um, and then it jumps to, like, a, I believe it's like a present-day descendant of him. And then there's also another descendant in the future. Hmm. And just kind of tracks the puzzle box through those three time places in time. Interesting. So, I mean, the movie gets really discredited like pretty frequently, mainly because of the futuristic space element of it. But it's like, fuck off. It's a good movie. And probably the last good one they made. Um, and then, you know, there was like Deader and Hell World and shit. And those were bad. Yeah. Those were really bad. <laughs> um, but I don't know. You know yeah. whose name seems to be missing from this whole story? Clyde Barker. Oh, yeah. I don't, Is he writing this thing? I really doubt it. He's he, Who's writing it? Tonicliffe? I don't know. I mean, it didn't, didn't say, so I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure Clive Barker has kind of washed his hands of Wasn't Hellraiser. he working on the remake? Um, I think there was a point in time when he was, but I think when uh, Dimension... I, I, that must be why I thought it was Dimensions, because it was from Dimension. <clears throat> I think they decided they didn't want to make a remake. They wanted to make another sequel. And I think maybe he didn't want to, to do that or something. Hmm. But, I mean, he you know he made a graphic novel that was the death of Pinhead. So I, I feel like he's done. <laughs> Could be. I don't think he has any interest in uh, Hellraiser anymore. But, all right, uh, well, I don't know. This is uh, happening. Yeah. So, anyone feeding for more Chucky was in for a treat. Eventually. <laughs> um, Don Mancini, who, of course, was behind... Want to wrestle? <laughs> Sal Bandini, want to wrestle? Um, he uh, tweeted that... Uh, or he tweeted tweeted out, He's back! Soon. And then in parentheses, <laughs> soon. And then hashtag Chucky7. I mean, he's been talking about Chucky7 on Twitter for, like, seems like three years now pretty much ever since the last one came out yeah just about <clears throat> um it sounds like it's finally actually happening now yeah uh it's like the plans for the movie is that chucky is going to return after the events of curse of chucky to continue terrorizing his wheelchair prone ha- human daughter uh nika uh meanwhile the serial killer doll has some scores to settle with his old enemies with the help of his former wife. Yes, that's right. Former wife. That means Jennifer Tilly is back. Because <laughs> we all wanted that. <laughs> we needed more Jennifer Tilly. <clears throat> and her boobs. She got them boobies. She does have them things. <laughs> also returning as Nika uh, is Fiona Dorif, who, of course, is Brad Dorf's daughter in real life. Oh, that's why they have the same last name. 
not just a coincidence. Um, so here's something interesting. Uh, based on a, a bunch of tweets back and forth between... Um, is this Brad or Nika Dorf? Uh, Fiona. Sorry. Uh, Fiona. Not Nika. Um, okay, so between... Uh, Fiona Dorif, Jennifer Tilly, and Don Mancini all tweeting together. It sounds like the movie's going to shoot in uh, Cape Town, South Africa, which is interesting. I mean, whatever. Chucky goes on safari. (laughs) (laughs) I smell a crossover with District 9. Yep. That's going to (laughs) happen. It only makes sense. Why else would they go to South Africa? Uh, yeah. What do you think? Excited? I'm willing to give it a shot. I liked Curse of Chucky. Yeah. Uh, it it took me a while to give Curse of Chucky a shot based on based on what preceded that. Sure. Well, I mean, we reviewed it for the movie or for the show. Yeah. Um. So it wasn't that long after. But I mean, I think we both went into it a little hesitant. Right. That's more what I meant. But I mean. Curse of Chucky really captured the, the the feel of the originals. Yeah, I thought it was a good return to form. Yeah, I mean, not the shitty one, not Bride of Chucky, not Seed of Chucky. Um, a lot of people say Child Plays Child's Play Three, but I actually kind of like that one. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, like like I said, it's a return to form. So if they can keep that up, then yeah, good on them. I don't know about. If, because I mean, it says Jennifer Tilly's going to return. To, are we going to be seeing Tiffany, the doll, or are we going to be seeing her, her in her human form? It's hard to say, because didn't Tiffany <clears throat> die? Hasn't Chucky died like several times? Fair enough. Um. Also, I saw. I don't know. I don't think it's Nika, but somebody just introduced a new Tiffany doll. I don't know if that's a tie-in to this or. Oh, the toy maker. Yeah, yeah. Ah, I thought you meant. <laughs> Not the character from the movie. No. Is it? Is it Nika? I thought it was Neka. It, I don't know what it is. Whatever. Irregardless, I just, you son of a bitch. Ah. Um. Yeah, like I like I said, if they can do the same thing, like make make a good movie like they did with Curse Ch- Chucky then I'm all for this. Yeah, me too. to your daughters Daughters will love like you do Girls become lovers who turn into mothers So the most terrifying man in the world is finally making another horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't Nick- expecting that. <laughs> Nicolas Cage is set to star in a movie called Mom and Dad. Uh, it's written and directed by Brian Taylor, who wrote and directed Ghost Rider. So it's a little reunion there. A lot of people <clears throat> shit on Ghost Rider. I liked it. Eh. I w- could have picked somebody else to play Johnny Blaze, but yeah. the movie itself was okay. It's okay. Yeah, and, it's, it's okay is what I would say. And Eva Mendez is awful, but <laughs> fun to look at, but she's just bad yeah. in everything. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, well, Brian Taylor says this is the kind of role Nick was put here to play: human, funny, scary, somehow grounded, while at the same time completely off the rails. 
It's high praise. <laughs> For a filmmaker, there is nothing quite like the experience of Nick Cage bringing a character you've written to life. I think you could have just stopped it. The experience of Nick Cage. Yeah. He's an experience all in himself. <laughs> He doesn't even need to, do, need to do anything. Just being in his presence is an experience. You've seen the, the community where they take the the Nick Cage class? No. The whole, cla- well, I must whole class of whether or not Nick Cage is good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> and Abed, tur- uh, Abed turns into Nick Cage. <laughs> nice. Uh, it's pretty funny. Um, the plot of Mom and Dad has two kids, a teenage girl and her little brother, who have to survive 24 hours of horror when, for some unknown reason, their parents begin to turn violently against their own children. Cage will play the titular dad. All right. (laughs) You don't say. (laughs) So, uh, excited for this? Pumped? (laughs) Curious. (laughs) Morbidly? Which Nick Cage are we going to get? They're all the same. Are we going to get, like, Matchstick Men Nick Cage? Or are we going to get, like, Leaving Las Vegas Nick Cage? Yeah. Or we're just going to get Nick Cage, like, as himself. By the way, I would pay millions of dollars for the Tim Burton Nicolas Cage Superman. (laughs) I would give all of my money to see that. I just, you know, I see the pictures, and people, there are lots of people that are like... I mean, kind of like you. It's like, yeah, man, I want to see that. And I see him as Superman with that fucking ridiculous hair. And I was like, what the shit is this? Oh, yeah, I don't think I don't think it would be good at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would just be such a massive flaming train wreck that it would just be <laughs> glorious. You know, I mean, Tim Burton is has not in in the past not been one to miscast roles. So, I mean, he obviously saw something in Nicolas Cage. <laughs> what it is, I have no fucking clue. But regardless of whether or not he'd be a good Superman, I just see him, and I see fucking Nick Cage. I, I see a uh, fucking dude from Raising Arizona, and like he's dressed like Superman. Yeah. He's in a Halloween costume. <laughs> <laughs> so... Well, this is a pretty paper thin plot. I'm just parents just turn violent against their children. The end. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think that's called step parents. Speaking of massive fucking train wrecks, (laughs) uh, as long as we've been talking about fucking (laughs) Cashbusters, (laughs) the the Ghostbusters remake, which is just in itself just sounding awful in every way. Yeah. They seem to have added another layer of shit onto Shit Mountain. And um, they've revealed the big bad, to to use a Whedon term. A Whedonism. Whedonism, that's the one. Um, you guys are all familiar with the Ghostbusters logo. Yeah, the deuce is gay. <laughs> that's Ghostbusters too, but yes. <laughs> 
you know, big fluffy white guy. Not white guy, but a big <laughs> fluffy white ghost. It's a big fat white guy. <laughs> with He's like, hey, Ghostbusters. With big titties and big man tits. Big pink gross nipples. Ghostbusters. <laughs> um, wearing a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> Tommy Bahama shirt. <laughs> Because he wants to look good and be comfortable. Of course. <laughs> uh, but yes, the the big fluffy white ghost that, you know, the red X or crossed out mark, meaning no ghosts. Yeah. Ghosts don't go here. <laughs> no um, ghosts allowed. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that guy... That that guy, that adorable is symbol of good, <laughs> makes you feel good inside. He's gonna be the bad guy. What in, in this movie? Uh, during a Mattel blogger review, a movie rep said the bad guy is the logo-looking ghost. I love the response from the press. <laughs> Yes, a member of the press said, the dude that looks like the we now return to the real Ghostbusters ghost, which is, for people our generation, yeah. Accurate? Yeah. yeah. The rep then laughed and said, yes, his name is Rowan. They named him. They named him Rowan. His name is Rowan. They just they, they named they, him after Mr. Bean. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, they went and they took a piece of, you know, iconography. And they went ahead and gave him a name. They they took that upon themselves. Yeah. Uh He then said he starts out small and gets bigger like the incredible Hulk. That's not what he said. No, but that's what that's the illusion that I'm making. Uh like stay puffed big. So my question is, is Rowan already a ghost? Like is he already part of the movie where he starts out small or does something happen where he comes to life off the sign? I I don't know. I I've given up trying to understand what's going on in this movie. It's just, like I said before, there's just so many bad decisions and, and, and just shit. And it sounds like he's taking the place of Stay Puft. It does sound that way, yeah. Like in, in the storyline, he is the, the giant thing that... I tried to think of something harmless. Something from our childhood. Mm-hmm. Something could never hurt us. And they picked Rowan. There's also some kind of dragon in it. Yeah, that's because that's ghosts. That's that's something that they are need. They need to do have dragons. Yeah, named Mayhem. And uh, just to really drive home the fact that these are women Ghostbusters, female Slimer. Yeah, this is in addition to Slimer. So there's two Slimers. Seriously? Yeah. 
I can't do this. <laughs> this is too much. <coughs> and uh, you know, in case in case you've forgotten, the synopsis of the remake is that dead criminals from all eras of New York's underbelly past have returned to roost among the living. Pilgrims, old-timey sailors, revolutionary war spirits, and even a couple of zoot-suited gangsters are ready to take on four formidable female busters looking to rid the city of its phantasmic filth. Very important that they add the word female to the official synopsis. You have to know that they're female. But it's not just a PR stunt. Well, guys, the one little ray of positivity coming from this fucking shit show the diamond in the rough if you will no that's not the right term sure it is no the diamond means like it's it's something that needs it's it's, it could potentially be beautiful but it needs to be polished oh and shaped so it's not uh the the diamond in the coal mine let's say that sure that's not a term, but I'm going to use it anyway. <laughs> is now. <laughs> now it's a term. Um, the one good thing coming from this is that fucking Ecto Cooler <laughs> is coming back. It's back. Now, 90s kids remember Ecto Cooler being one of the greatest things on Earth. It was basically just green high C. Yeah, it was... Uh, just it was like citrus flavored. Um, it was like a little bit of orange, a little bit of lime. Yeah, and it was fucking incredible. Like that was something that you only that that's all you wanted to drink, <laughs> especially during the summer. Um, it was, I believe, a, a cross promotion when Real Ghostbusters came out, the, the cartoon. That sounds right. Yeah, because I remember it had the the cartoon version of Slimer on right and then over the years like once they kind of dropped the whole ecto cooler name they still I think they re- renamed it citrus cooler so they still kept it around for a few years afterwards and then eventually just dropped it all together mm. but now it's fucking coming back it's in guys cans now I saw that which is interesting yeah I mean that's fine I would have absolutely no shame drinking out of a juice box it's <laughs> fucking ecto cooler I don't give a shit. Um, just so you guys know, the, there there is a recipe floating around the internet. If you just Google Ecto Cooler recipe, some fucking genius found like the right balance of different kinds of juices and like it's usually like the powdered drinks. Just found the right combination. It tastes almost identical. Dude, why have we not made Ecto Cooler cocktails? I don't know. There's a lot of sugar in it. <laughs> like, probably more than the real Ecto Cooler. That's the hangover waiting to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's really fucking good. They're also introducing uh, green-filled Twinkies. Right. Which they're calling Key Lime Slime. Yeah. Instead of the much more obvious Key Slime. Right. Because... Apparently they think that people are idiots. It's like, here's this spoon. Let me put it in your mouth. Like they should have called it like key lime that's green to make it look like slime. <laughs> that would have made it. Then maybe people would get it. And then in parentheses, get it. But it's not really slime. <laughs> Don't worry. 
You can eat this. <laughs> uh, Please remove wrapper first. So, you know, I would I would give anything to just have Ecto Cooler back. Um, but if I have to exist in a world where this movie is a thing to get Ecto Cooler, I'll, I'll deal with it. I'll, <laughs> I'll suffer through. I'll soldier on. So... That's that. So Jennifer and Sylvia, the Sasuke sisters, are going to direct a remake. Jennifer. <laughs> Did you just name drop the twins? Uh are set to direct a remake of David Cronenberg's Burbs, Burbs. <laughs> David Cronenberg's zombie film Rabid. Uh, Rabid is about a woman injured in a motorcycle accident who undergoes a surgical operation and develops a stinger that she uses to feed on people's blood, triggering an outbreak of a rabies-like epidemic that turns its victims into bloodthirsty zombies. Uh, said one of the Saskas. The work of I think maybe this was a, a, a statement from both of them. Uh, the work of David Cronenberg is legendary, and Rabbit is much more than just a horror movie. The real message of his film is powerful and even more pivotal as we look at the world around us today. It's an honor to be involved in this love letter to his original, and we handle with the same respect as Paul Schrader's Cat People, Alexander Aja's The Hills Have Eyes, and John Carpenter's The Thing. <laughs> I, why were they? Name dropping those movies at the end. I don't understand. Because they're remakes. <clears throat> they remade Cat People? Apparently. Huh. I mean, that's the only comp- like thing that I can think of. <clears throat> All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm down. You know, I, I'd be lying if I said I've seen Rabbit. I mean, I, would, I, I have not. Yeah. Um, I've never, I, I don't have any kind of aversion to Cronenberg. I've just never really gotten into his stuff. Same here. Um, aside from like scanners. Yeah. And God, what other movie did he do? I don't know. I'm drawing a blank right now. Yeah. I mean, I know there's another movie that I watched. I called him Cronenberg for God's sakes. <laughs> fuck do I know about anything <laughs> he's Canadian he probably gets that all the time <laughs> that makes no sense and they're Canadian so that's why it works <laughs> yes they have interchangeable parts <laughs> well they do in American Mary <laughs> it's true yeah only in Canada yeah except what that took place here yeah or was it here or Portland uh, it was here. Yeah. Yeah. Seattle. I don't, I don't know if it was Seattle proper, but it was like Puget Sound area. It was definitely not filmed here. It was clearly filmed in Vancouver. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, you know, everybody else does it. Why not them? Yeah. Fuck it. <laughs> Fuck it. Um, But, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'll, I'll see it. I wonder if they got uh, his blessing. I don't know. I wonder if they even asked, or if the studio even asked. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. 
Maybe they did, and he said no, and they said, well, fuck you. We're going to do it anyways. Like, you know what? We were just being polite. If you're going to be a dick about it. <laughs> it's a interesting premise. Yeah. She develops a stinger like a bee. And then she uses it to feed on people's blood. Yeah. And then that makes zombies. Yeah, the stinger is in her armpit. Oh, is it? Yeah. Apparently. Interesting. I, I think it's on like it's it's this like uh, I was reading the um Wikipedia page about it. It's described as a phallic stinger. So presumably it's not just like a little stinger like that. It's it actually comes out more like a snake tail or something or um, scorpion tail maybe that'd be more hmm. that'd be more suited than a snake tail <coughs> interesting I don't know presume we'll have to watch it at some point probably so we know what's going sounds on sounds like something we'd do <laughs> it does you know we watch horror movies <laughs> Hey, you guys, remember Dead Rising Watchtower? Yeah, I remember. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> because it seems like that was, like they released it and that was it. And they just never talked about it again. <laughs> well, uh, apparently Crackle's uh, going to be in, begin con- yeah, production on Dead Rising uh, Endgame, which is the sequel, of course. <clears throat> it's going to be directed by Pat Williams, who directed Continuum. Uh, it's going to be written by Michael Ferris, who wrote Terminator Salvation, Terminator Three, and, and or, sorry, Terminator Salvation and Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines. I didn't know the same person wrote those. Now you know. Yeah, I, I do know. Yeah. Terminator Three really sucked. Terminator Salva- Salvation was okay. So. Uh oh, and Tim Carter who, of course, wrote Dead Rising Watchtower and Mortal Kombat Legacy, which kicked ass. Yes, quite. Mm, Yes. Indeed. Uh, The sequel is going to drop us into this zombie-infested quarantine zone of East Mission City, where investigative reporter Chase Carter must stop a secret government conspiracy which, through seemingly aimed at ending... It's, sorry. This must stop a secret government conspiracy which, through seemingly aimed it says at... though. Oh, sorry. Though, and s- though seemingly aimed at ending the country's zombie epidemic, will also kill millions of innocent civilians. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Metcalf is coming back as Chase Carter, uh, who is a well-known TV journalist who goes back underground to stop the military's rogue operations and break the ultimate story. Uh, Keegan Connor Tracy uh, returns as the camera operator and producer, Jordan Blair. I I thought she was dead. I don't remember. It seemed like I remember her being dead. 
Sorry, spoilers, guys. Um, and then, of course, Dennis Haysbert, President Palmer. Pedro uh, Serrano. Pedro Serrano. <laughs> Uh, is repri- reprising his role as General Lyons, who's just a shitty military intelligence officer. Um, Patrick Seven Sabangul, Sab Sab Sabongi. Oh, that's that's an I. Sabangul. So yeah, Sab something. Sabangui. Something something foreign. <laughs> <laughs> returns in a re- returns in a new role. All right. So, really, so he was he was in the first one and now he's in this one but he's playing someone else. Apparently, I fucking hate when they do that. Uh, he's play he plays a skilled zombie killer and video game aficionado who talks a, a big and crude game to mask his gentle side. Okay. <laughs> Billy Zane, fuck yes. <laughs> oh, I'm so in. <laughs> Sold. The fucking Phantom? No, not... <laughs> yeah, the Phantom? Yeah. Fucking A. Um, yeah, Billy Zane stars as Rand, a handsome and cruel scientist who was hired by... Did you have to say handsome? It's fucking Billy Zane. I know. We already know. <laughs> God, nobody rocks a shaved head like Billy Zane. You know? And he's one of those guys... One of those assholes that just shaves his head, too. It's like, I'm losing my hair, and people just shave their heads. <laughs> Fuck off. He's got a, a beautiful head of hair, but he just shaves it. What because, an asshole. Because he's a prick. <laughs> um, uh, he's hired by the government to find a cure for the raging zombie infection, but is instead conducting horrendous experiments on the infected. Billy. <laughs> oh, Billy. Billy. <laughs> Uh, Marie Avergropoulos. Avergropoulos, yep. Um, is playing Sandra Lowe, a skilled computer hacker, and chases on on and off girlfriend who joins him in his quest to battle the zombie-infested underground and stop General Lyon's plan. Ian Tracy portrays George Hancock, uh... The courageous whistleblower who compels Chase and his team to enter a zombie-infested city on a rescue mission. Jessica Harmon uh, plays Jill, a news producer who joins Chase and his intrepid crew to infiltrate a secret laboratory and stop the carnage. Victor Webster... God, that's too many fucking people. Victor Webster is Chuck Green, the reluctant hero and protagonist of the Dead Rising 2 video game. Oh, that's, oh, that's kind of cool. Um, Camille Sullivan portrays the role of Susan Ingot, the CEO of Phenotrans, the manufacturer of Zombrex, the vaccine that keeps the zombie infection at bay. No, no Rob Riggle? No mention of Rob Riggle. How are you going to make a Dead Rising movie without him? Well, because they got Chuck Green instead of Frank West. Ah, Frank West is better. <laughs> well, that's true. And, you know... I think we commented on it when we reviewed that reviewed it that um, there was a, a zombie in Watchtower that was wearing Chuck Green's yeah like jacket. The, the biker jacket yeah, yeah yellow and black yeah leather jacket yeah guess it wasn't him <laughs> I guess <laughs> must have not been him um, yeah so you what, what do you think about this 
I mean, I thought uh, Watchtower was okay. It wasn't, you know, anything earth-shattering, but for being a totally free movie, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. It was nice watching something on Crackle where the um, commercial breaks were timed. Yeah. Like, do you, have you ever watched another movie on Crackle? Yeah. It's fucking irritating. Yeah, they just shoehorn commercials in wherever. Yeah, it's there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just like somebody could be in the middle of a fucking sentence and they'll just drop a commercial right there. Yeah, it's like they do it by time instead of actually watching and finding good spots. Yeah, which, I mean, that would be impossible to do, I mean, with all the movies yeah, they have. They'd have true. to go through. It's like, okay, and right there. That's <laughs> the commercial right there. So, um, but yeah, Watchtower was not bad. Yeah, it was decent enough. Wasn't so, great, but whatever. I thought this was shot. And it had the Saskas. It's oh yeah, hookers or hooker zombies or, or something. something. Yeah. <laughs> Wonder if there'll be any cool cameos in this one. Maybe Canadians, no doubt. Because it seemed like that was all, like all the cameos that were in that were all Canadians. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, so that's that. That's 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 that story. Dead Rising Endgame. Kind of makes you think it might be the last one. Or it could be a swerve. A swerve? Yeah. What's a swerve? A twist. Oh. All right. Uh, I got a zombie on me, and you can't harm me. Yeah, who do you, who do, bitch? Drink blood like a vampire without warning. Who do you, who do, bitch? Stand up. Speaking of zombies, uh, it sounds like another spinoff to the popular video game Dead Island may be coming. A post for Dead Island Retro Revenge was discovered on both the Australian and Brazilian ratings boards. Uh, on the post, it listed a mature-rated computer game with online interactivity and bloody violence. It also mentioned San Diego-based Empty Clip Games as the developer. Uh, it also listed it being available for PC, PS4, and Xbox One. This is not the first time that there's been a spinoff of Dead Island. Uh, the previous titles were Dead Island Riptide and Escape Dead Island. Which, I, if I remember right, eh, those all had the same flaws that the original game had. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Dead Island 2 is allegedly still in the works from Deep Silver. Um, I'll believe that when I see it. It's, such, it's still such a mind-blowing like series of events. Like They actually had commercials on TV yeah. for the game, and then it never came out. Yeah. <laughs> what, what? The developer go tits up or something like that? I can't remember. Uh... Not the developer, because that's Deep Silver. Was it always Deep Silver, though? Yeah, they had a partner, Jaeger, I think it was called, and they... Yeah, Jaeger bombs, dude. Fucking A. <laughs> uh, they split up for whatever reason. <clears throat> and now they can't... Because I think they were the people that were actually like making the game, and Deep Silver is like the, the PR company or whatever. Mm, mm, mm. And also, they've got nobody to actually make the fucking game. <laughs> but now they've got Deep this. Deep Silver's like, fuck it, we'll do it. <laughs> we got this. How hard can it be? Yeah. We can make a fucking game. 
But now you've got this empty clip games developing a different game. Yeah. So who the fuck knows what's going on? Who owns the rights to this fucking thing? Maybe it's like public domain or something. Maybe. Fuck it. We'll make it. Because <laughs> we can make games. Yeah. <laughs> fuck it. How hard can it be? <laughs> Carlos knows how to make games. <laughs> You'll go from This Gold is Mine to Dead Island 2. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, another one of these fucking games. Maybe it won't be as bad as Riptide and the other fucking one, Escape Dead Island. Yeah, it probably will, though. People probably more in our age bracket might remember a game called Carmageddon. Oh, fuck yes. Do I remember Carmageddon? <laughs> I never really played it all that much. I played it all the goddamn time. <laughs> you know, I saw you post this story to your cousin's oh, Facebook. Yes. Yeah, I assume to YouTube. We used to play it on my on my computer. It was like one of the only PC games I've ever owned. <laughs> uh, well... Good news for you. <laughs> oh, I'm stoked. Uh, we got a new Carmageddon game in the works. Uh, it's going to be called Carmageddon Max Damage. Uh, looks like the story, I guess, <laughs> behind it. Or, you know, the sales pitch is, Welcome to the homicidal world of Carmageddon Max Damage, the driving game where you gain points by mowing down the local inhabitants and your opponents are a bunch of crazies in a twisted mix of killing machines. With insane power-ups, surreal environments, and a variety of ways to win, it all adds up to an endless hours of violent and hilarious fun. Excuse me. Fun! <laughs> all caps. <laughs> so, I mean... It's basically like Twisted Metal. I mean, this predates Twisted Metal, but... Well, Twisted Metal was like uh, um, Demolition Derby, where if I remember correctly, Carmageddon was a race. Really? Yeah, but it was like, you you didn't try to win. <laughs> it was like, go! <laughs> Start mowing down pedestrians. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that was like, all you tried to do is just, how many pedestrians can I kill before I cross the finish line? <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, this day and age, you know, when you're, you know, early, what, 90s, mid 90s? Yeah. Somewhere there, you know, computer graphics were not all that great. Not particularly. <clears throat> but they're pretty impressive now. Yeah. <laughs> Almost like more impressive than like, well, I think a lot of people would say that like more impressive than even console games, which are really fucking good. Yeah. Um, so, if, I mean, presuming they actually make this another a, a computer game again, um, you might have some uh, some really cool-looking violence ahead of you. Yeah, too bad I don't have a gaming PC or any intention to buy one. Well, you, you know, I think, it's, I think it's unwise for them to make games that can only be played on gaming PCs. That seems, I mean, well, you got a fucking Chromebook, which was just a silly purchase. 
<laughs> does absolutely everything I needed to. Except play Carmageddon. <laughs> I don't need it to play Carmageddon. Don't you? Don't you, Taylor? I'm wondering if this is going to be on consoles. That seems likely. Yeah. Um, making a console game. I, I feel like it's probably not... Relative to what it used to cost, I don't feel like it's probably as expensive as it used to be. Yeah. I and I, I could be way off base there. I, I, I'm not a game developer. I don't know. But... Um, it's, it seems most practical they would release it on all formats. You would think, yeah. Yeah, most companies do that now. But, uh, no word on when it's coming out, but um, I'm sure we'll probably keep you up to date when we hear something. Word, I'm stoked. I'm going to play the shit out of it. I'm going to kill so many pedestrians. <laughs> yeah. I'm slying, I'm shameless. No What of the writers of Scream? So one of the writers of Scream, Kevin Williamson, is developing a Jack the Ripper TV show, according to Deadline. Uh, it's titled Time After Time and is being created and the pilot is being written by Williamson uh, for ABC. This is based on a 1979 film starring Malcolm McDowell. Uh, which is based on a novel by Carl Alexander. Uh, although from what I understand, the movie actually came out before the novel. Huh. Yeah. Uh, was it just, I guess just a novelization of the movie then? Well, no. The, I, I, I don't know the logistics of it, but the movie is based on the novel, but somehow came out first. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, in the story, H.G. Wells pursues Jack the Ripper to the 20th century when the serial murderer uses the future writer's time machine to escape his time period. Interesting. Uh, Josh Bowman has been signed on to play John Stevenson, a brilliant and charismatic surgeon who lives a double life as the infamous serial killer Jack the Ripper. Freddie Stroma has been cast to play H.G. Wells. So what do you think about this? Um, well, Josh Bowman, uh, no. <laughs> Just no. No. All right. The guy, I mean, he's he's probably, he's probably our age, maybe a few years older. Um, but it's like, when, when you think of who Jack the Ripper could have been, did you? Did you ever think that, knowing the type of skill and craftiness and experience that he would have had to have, did you did you ever picture him as somebody in his mid thirties? Mm, I would say probably more forties. Yeah, at least. Yeah. And so, yeah, this this guy is relatively young, and I just don't buy it. All right. Um. Freddie Stroma, I believe, was an older guy. So I mean, playing H.G. Wells, that's that's fine. 
But what did you think about the story? Like, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting story. Um, you're taking time travel, and that's. I mean, you're making the assumption that, well, not assumption, but you're kind of taking liberty, saying that H.G. Wells actually had a time machine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, he wrote the time machine based on true events. Right. <laughs> Says right on the cover. Um, it's a bit of a. I mean, I mean, I guess it would be around that same time period. I'm just trying to think if, like, Jack the Ripper and H.G. Wells kind of lived in separate generations. I mean, same, you know, both the 1800s, but different ends of the... the Century. Century, thank you. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever, but oh, yeah. uh, it's it's an interesting concept. I, I'll have, I'll give them that. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, it's 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 it's, it's going to be like I mean, well, I I wonder if this is going to be like a like a time travel show where like I mean. So like they just bounce bounce around through time chasing each other or something. Basically, yeah, I, I, like you know, like quantum leap or something. Just <laughs> different time periods, just all over the place. Oh boy, that would be extremely expensive, no yeah. doubt. Um, or if they just like jump ahead to the twenty first century, and that's just where just they, everything just takes place there. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what it sounds like. Because I mean, it does just say that he pursues him to the twentieth century. That's right, it does. I didn't notice that. But the 20th century, why the 20th? Oh, because that's the original story. Yeah. Got it. Well, okay, so yeah, presumably it'll just be our modern time then. Presumably. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Could be cool. Could be shit. I'd almost rather see this play out in Victorian England. Yeah, word. Me too. I mean, granted, it would it would take place on a soundstage in Los Angeles, but <laughs> so be cool. Be cool. It'd be more interesting than just you know, oh, L.A. Yeah, nineteen eighty. That's 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 part of what like you remember the show Dracula lasted a season, but the set pieces were awesome. Yeah, like I'm fairly certain they didn't actually film it in England. I doubt it. I, I doubt it too. I'm, I'm almost positive they filmed in LA, but I mean, it was great. It was awesome. I mean, they had like these full street sets. Mm-hmm. That they're just all Victorian England, and it looked awesome. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Could, could be cool. Could be cool. <laughs> I don't know. Fuck it. I mean, I, I'm I'm a sucker for time travel stuff. So yeah, I'm not. Other than Quantum Leap. Yeah, so see, like Quantum Leap. <laughs> That's it. That's the... And Back to the Future, obviously. <clears throat> okay, Honda Remains. Um, so, Rings, which is, of course, the second Rings sequel. It's being pushed back to October 28th of this year. Uh, it was originally scheduled for November 2015. And then it got pushed back to April of this year. And now April's 
coming upon us, and they clearly don't have their shit together. <laughs> they can keep pushing this thing right off a fucking cliff for yeah, all I care. Exactly. Uh, it's being directed by F. Javier Gutierrez. Uh, it stars newcomer Matilda Lutz and Alex Rowe, as well as John, John Johnny fucking, Galecki. Johnny Galecki, <laughs> fucking Russ from uh, Christmas Vacation. <clears throat> And I guess he's on Big Bang Theory, but I don't watch that fucking show. What the hell's Big Bang Theory? <laughs> uh, in the film, Samara returns with a familiar videotape, and nobody notices because nobody has a fucking VHS player yeah, anymore. Right? <laughs> it's like, don't watch this tape. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't even know what to do with this. <laughs> I'll, use, I'll fucking hold up a table with it or something. <laughs> uh yeah, I think Samara needs to get her shit together, convert the VHS to at least DVD. Yeah. Otherwise... Fucking put it on YouTube. You know how many people will see it on YouTube? That'd be fucked up. That'd be hella fucked up. Rings 4, YouTube. Yeah. Boo-tube. Wait, no, 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 no. Don't give him ideas. <laughs> Boo-tube. Because <laughs> she's a ghost, you see. Right. <laughs> Uh, D. D. Snyder is planning a sequel to his movie Strangeland. We've talked about this before. Uh, he retweeted an uh, Instagram picture from Christopher Petzl, the Pre- pres- Pretzel, <laughs> Christopher Pretzel, <laughs> the president and C- CEO of Strangeland rights owners Imagi Entertainment. Uh, he captioned uh, Pretzel captioned it with <laughs> "We're going, we're going to Strangeland," and then Snyder added his own commentary saying the strange land sequel team begins to be built that's uh, not a good quote he should have just said we're putting the sequel team together something <laughs> uh like tony said this is something we talked about before uh the rumored plot from earlier from well, actually a few years ago was one year after carlton Hendricks, aka captain howdy's sadistic rampage much more than the physical scars the schizophrenic sexual sadist gave his victims are left behind their lives destri- destroyed by emotional torment and the media frenzy surrounding the crimes. Detective Mike Gage, his daughter Genevieve, and vigilante Jackson Roth, played by Robert England, each have their crosses to bear. But when the badly burned and mentally broken Carlton Hendricks is taken from a state-run mental ins- hospital and off his medication by billionaire media mogul Morgan LaForce, leader of the body modification fetish have haven called the Torture Garden, the door swings wide open for each of Captain Howdy's victims to find closure and retribution. All right. That sounds dumb. <laughs> I still haven't seen the original Strangeland. I thought you owned it. No. Oh, I don't know why I thought that then. <laughs> sounds more like something your cousin would have. Yeah, he probably does. <clears throat> okay, so we have a lot of new Twin Peaks casting. Uh, these are... These are some rumors, some confirmed. Um, there's a lot of them, so I'm just going to burn through them real quick because we're running long here. Um, so, uh, Twin Peaks co-creator Mark Frost is going to be a news TV newscaster. Frost's father, Warren Frost, is going to be Will Hayward. Ray Wise is coming back as Leland Parker. Palmer. Palmer. Parker. Leland Palmer. Um, Grace Zabrinsky is going to be Sarah Palmer. Uh, Peggy Lipton and Norma Jennings, Everett McGill as Big Ed Hurley, uh, Wendy Roby as Nadine Hurley, 
James Marshall is James Hurley. Al Strobel is Philip Michael Gerard, uh, who is, of course, the one-armed man. Um, Kimmy Robertson as Lucy Moran. Henry, Henry oh, God damn. Harry goes as uh, Deputy Andy Brennan. Charlotte Stewart as Betty Briggs. Gary Hirschberger as Mike Nelson. Jan Darcy as Sylvia Horn. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton as Carl Rod. And maybe Catherine E. Coulson, who, of course, played the log lady. And you may remember we reported on this a while back. She actually passed away. Um, but there is a potential she may have filmed some scenes before she passed. So, I mean, if those exist, it's kind of, I guess, if they their discretion work, yeah. if they want to put it in or not. Um, some new cast members. We don't have any... Um, roles assigned to them yet but we've got Grant Goodeve um, Larry Clark Caleb Landry Jones James Belushi that one's a bit odd that's a curveball and Ashley Judd so there's that there's that um yeah a lot a lot of casting a lot there's so many people in this and this is a lot of people for what Six episodes? I uh, know it's like eighteen. Is it? Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, they they uh, increase the order. Yeah, right? yeah. So yeah, eighteen. But still, like, there's that many people added to what they already have. Right. The there's central cast. So many people in this thing. Well, I mean, you know, a lot of these are all ri- original characters. Yes. So, you know, whatever. But fucking Belushi. <clears throat> okay. Uh, writer Ritanis Topk. Uh, is working on two new zombie comics. The first is called Deadliner, which is a graphic novel about zombies that run like hell. Okay. Uh, They run in relentless madness after their victims to change them within seconds into their kind. There's no time to take a breath. Take a breath! Insanity breaks out, and everyone who is not infected yet must run for their lives. By the way, it takes place on a boat. I don't know why that's not in there. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of an important part of the story. One would think. Uh, the second one is called Viral, which is about a zombie outbreak over Germany that brings chaos and mayhem. Martin embarks on a road trip from Berlin to Mannheim to save his little son and maybe his ex wife. Yeah. Uh, Zombieland sequel is apparently still a thing. <gasps> uh, writer Rhett Reese uh, said. Uh, it's actually, it's actually still in development at Sony. They've had a couple of writers take a crack at it. We, uh, meaning he and the co-writer Paul Wernick, uh, the men behind Deadpool, right? So it could be something good. They're probably pretty in demand now. Oh, I imagine. Um, uh, he said we're still executive producers and we're guiding and helping where we can and I think there's still very much talk about it but I think it has to be right restressed uh, I think all the actors and uh, the original Zombieland director Ruben Fleischer all feel like uh, there's no no reason to do it again if we're not getting it exactly right hey I like that agreed yeah <laughs> and Sony's like no no just make one. It doesn't matter. It could be shit. Whatever. People still pay to see it. Just make it. Make the fucking movie. We can put from the writers of Deadpool on it. 
Uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. This is the film adaptation. Uh, it got new writers because apparently John August is gone. Nobody knew. <laughs> That's something that happened. Yeah. Uh, Dan and Kevin Hagen, who uh, apparently wrote the story that the Lego movie was based on. They didn't write the screenplay themselves, but they wrote the story. Uh, they are now taking over the reins uh, from, like I said, John August, who took the reins from Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan. So we're just passing the buck on this one. Yeah. And fucking Guillermo del Toro, you fucking <laughs> cocksucker, <laughs> is, uh, is, of course, executive producing. Uh, so uh, <laughs> rumor is that it is going to film this summer. And it's going to be rated R, because apparently that's something that needed to be announced. And apparently it's something that uh, wasn't going to happen until Deadpool. Yeah. Uh, and, th- you know, th- like we said, that's what we were talking about earlier, just making movies rated R, because now suddenly pr- studios think that, oh, well, Deadpool did it. Now we can do it. It's like, But in this case, this movie fucking needs to be R. Yeah. If you've read it, you know that it has to be R. <laughs> there is no way to not make it R and, you know, do it justice. The the TV miniseries from the 90s did a fairly good job of telling the story but didn't really capture it the way it needed to be. Yeah. And, you know, you know, if you talk to somebody like my dad, he'll say that it can't be done. You cannot make an It movie. Because there's just too much to cover, and it's so detailed that it and it all needs to be in there. What well, is going to be two movies? Sure, and that's another thing that always that, that continues to make me uneasy about this is the fact that the book, the the stories from 1958, or sorry, 1957 and um, 1985. Shit, I'm forgetting my years in the book. Um, I think it was 58 and 85. I think if I remember correctly, they were switched. I don't think it was 58. I'm fairly certain it was 57. Yeah. Well, maybe 57 and 58. I don't know, because... The, the creature, you know, it, comes out every... About every 37 years. Is that what it is? I don't know. Whatever. Um, 58 to 85 would be 37. Huh? Or would be 27. 58 to 85 would be 27. 27. Okay, maybe it was 85. Doesn't matter. Um, But those two points in history, those were interspersed. I mean, it wasn't, oh, here's the story from 57, 58. Now here's the story from '85. It wasn't like that. It was all mixed well, I together. I mean, producer Roy Lee, he said, uh, "We're taking it and making the movie from the point of view of the kids, and then making another movie from the point of view of the adults that could potentially then be cut together like the novel." So it doesn't sound like they know for sure which way they're going to do it yet. Huh. So I mean. That sounds like it's going to take for fucking ever. Yeah. 
sounds like they're just going to film them both and then cut them and figure out. Yeah. But he did say that uh, we're very close to turning in the final draft of the script, uh, mainly working on it for budgeting purposes to make sure it fits within the budget that we have. That's not something that really makes you feel good. Yeah, at least you're not going to have Fukunaga putting his own personal stories in it anymore. Yeah, fucker. <clears throat> it's like, this happened to me when I was a kid. It didn't happen to them, but fuck it. <laughs> but fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is essentially what he was doing. <clears throat> anyway. I mean, I, I love it, and I will, I'll see this. I love it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, I just really hope they they do it right. Uh, there's a new Tales from the Dark Side comic coming out, written by Tony's buddy Joe Hill. Yep, my uh, buddy. <laughs> you know us, thick as thieves. Oh my god, I was just gonna say that. <laughs> uh, with art by Gabriel Rodriguez and Charles P. Wilson the Third, Hill says this is the show that could have been. By the way, Charles P. Wilson is the guy that did this. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, this, the graphic novel that I was talking about earlier based on Nosferatu. Uh, it's called Wraith if you guys want to check it out. So they got a past. Yeah. Um, Hill says this is the show that could have been. Tales from the Dark Side was a fun, bleak little spin on the Twilight Zone style anthology. My idea is to give readers a little more. Every story is meant to stand alone, but gradually you will come to see that they all com- connect to tell a single larger story. This will be hitting shelves in June. And I will be checking this out. <laughs> Do it. Uh, IFC orders a Dana Gould scripted <laughs> series called Stan Against Evil. Because Dana, we talked about this last episode, I think. Dana Gould really making a making his bones into, yeah. into horror, yeah. Uh, I mean, granted, this sounds like it has some... It sounds like it's going to be funny. Yeah, it's going to be a horror comedy. Uh, it revolves around a disgruntled sheriff of a New England town, built upon the site of which of a witch burning ground, who is forced to retire, but uh, winds up teaming up with his female successor to fight off a plague of demons. So it's the X Files. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> or you know, it actually sounds more. A- what the dick? That just fell for no reason. Fucking ghost, man. Fuck. We gotta get out of here. <laughs> Sorry, guys. This place bye. Place haunted shit. <laughs> uh, uh, it sounds more akin to like Sleepy Hollow than X Files. Like if literally. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, the Miss TV show that I'm pretty sure we talked about before. Yeah. Uh, has picked up a pilot order for Spike. That um, seems like a fitting place for it. Uh, Bob Weinstein told Variety, we are excited to be in business with Spike on their first scripted production pilot and working with the very talented Christian Torp to further explore Stephen King's classic novella and bring this riveting series to television audiences. Okay. Whatever. He is really excited for more fucking delicious money. Yep. Anyway. Uh, so, stupid fucking goddamn piece of shit exorcist show i was really hoping that this would just die that they would just give up no there would be so much public backlash they would just say you know what we should not do this no public backlash means that people will watch it (sighs) well they cast their lead actress 
Uh, just a forewarning, it's not Reagan. So get that out of your head. Because why would Reagan be in it? Why would Reagan be in The Exorcist? Uh, Brienne Howie, who was in Scream Queens, I believe in like one episode. Yeah, she was the one that got all burnt up. Right. Um, she's playing Charlotte, a former... Wait, let, actually, let's talk about this. Brienne Howie, in her mid-20s, mm-hmm. is playing like the, the Reagan character. Mm-hmm. So we are basically taking the story of The Exorcist and plucking out about a third of the, the story. Because it appears that no longer is The Exorcist about the possession of an innocent, sweet 13, 14-year-old girl and how that affects her and how that affects her mother and how it affects her life. Now it's about some pretty blonde in her 20s. That's awesome. I'll bet there isn't going to be a young and old priest either facing their own demons. Oh, probably not. That's... That's great. It's, it's going to be about a rogue cop. <laughs> this is going to have n- nothing to do with the original. This is such a fucking stupid idea. Anyway, so she's playing Charlotte. She's ballet dancer. One of the... She's golden child something. <laughs> Words. Blah, blah. Fuck. I don't fucking care. She has not been the same since her terrible accident. Oh, no. Now depressed and antisocial. She should kill herself. She's a depressed and antisocial gorgeous blonde. (laughs) That happens in real life. Yeah. Uh, She's closed off and guarded so much that her mother has begun to believe that she might be influenced by a demon. That's... Because that's something people still think in this day and age. Yeah. That's quite a presumption, Mom. (laughs) Uh, More likely she's on the pot. <laughs> though the thought, smoking doobies. Though the thought would make Charlotte laugh. Because she's stoned. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't watch that, guys. Please. Don't make it. Well, they're, they're going to make it. It's, Stop it. It's Fox. Fuck you. They will make it regardless of public outcry they don't, fuck they don't care anyway that's horror business <clears throat> there was a lot of that there was a lot of that my throat is already raw so the rest of the show is gonna be fun um before we go into our reviews we did an interview recently um and uh i was a week ago now yeah we actually did this um uh, there's a movie that just recently came out. It's been making its rounds at the th- um, at the festivals, um, doing pretty well for itself. Sounds like, um, but you'll hear more of that in the interview. Uh, go ahead and listen to our interview with Brian Netto and Adam Schindler. Check it out. Hey everyone, you're here with Skeletoni. And Taylor of Terror. Today we're here with a couple of guests, the producer and director of a movie that's just recently come out, a brand new movie called um, Intruders. Uh, 
We're here with Brian Netto and Adam Schindler. How are you doing, guys? Doing great. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Um, so, uh, I guess to kind of get things started, um, why don't you guys just take a little time and talk about uh, yourselves? You know, your background and um, you know how you came to be in in the film industry. And sure, sure. Uh, this is Adam. I'll, I'll just say that until people can understand our voices. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Brian and I are, have been uh, friends for around 26 years now, 26, 27 years. Uh, we became friends back in fourth grade and grew up in Minnesota, suburbs of St. Paul. And, um, you know, from early early age, around fifth grade or so, we, we started making movies in the backyard and kind of that kind of steamrolled into, you know, something we thought we might we might want to do as as careers back then of course we were just doing it because we liked it and had no idea that you could make a living as a filmmaker um but nonetheless we you know we we both went to school in the midwest there and after college you know decided you know do we want to you know had a discussion about whether we want to make try to make the dream a reality um and we said yes so we saved up some money and Loaded up a U-Haul and drove cross cross country. No real context in the industry or anything. Um, just kind of a dream and a and a and a hope, you know, and a work ethic. And came out here to to make it happen. That was we've been out in Los Angeles now almost 14 years. So that was about 14 years ago. Kind of started at the bottom, mm-hmm. as most people do, interning, PAing on commercials and movies and whatever you know whatever gigs we could get. Doing that just kind of learning learning how uh, Hollywood works and uh, worked our way up. Um, and Brian, I don't know if you want to talk about delivery and how we got in shooters. Yeah, you know, we, you know, we, had, we had just got the manager. We were writing, trying to figure out our way in because we figured, well, we always wrote and we love writing. So we figured that was going to be our ticket in if we attached ourselves to something that we wrote and that people wanted bad enough, that would be our break. And then we came up with the idea for delivery, um, which is kind of a mashup of Johnny K plus eight meets Rosemary's baby. <laughs> and, and we did, you know, that was you know, right around the time. It was kind of, it's, 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 it's kind of a mockumentary, uh, reality show slash mockumentary slash found footage. And that was, we came up with that right around the time the first paranormal was coming out. So fortunately when that dropped, all of a sudden there was a huge, you know, you know, quest to find Episode, the next yeah. paranormal. Mm-hmm. And so, unfortunately, you know, we, we had a lot of interest, but not, nothing that was happening fast enough for our liking. So it was, a kind of, it was the kind of project that we wrote that could be, it, it could be made for a budget, a budget that we could have, you know, bankrolled ourselves, which is what we ended up doing. It really was the best decision we could make because it allowed us to do it in a very unorthodox, kind of unconventional way. We, we, we shot it uh, in and around Los Angeles, and we used actors doing probably 75% of it was, you know, dramatically, dramatic improv. So, you know, because we did it on our own, kind of a way, 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 way outside of the Hollywood system, we could take that unorth- you know, kind of unorthodox approach um, and just craft it the way we thought was the best way to get the best performances. And, and that film, you know, we shot it, uh, you know, kind of figured out post on the fly, and we premiered at the L.A. Film Festival in 2000. 2013? 2013, yeah. Yeah, 13, and that, you know, then we went on to, you know, kind of travel around the country and and the world, and and that was great, and we were able to sell it to Salient uh, Tribeca, 
uh, and they put it out uh, a couple of theaters and then you know VOD and DVD and that opened up the doors to go out and meet people and figure out you know what our next project was going to be and we met uh, with Krista Campbell and Lati Grobman who uh, met us on a pitch and they said you know these guys I mean we, we we're enthusiastic we love genre we the stuff we made going up in our backyard was always revolving around genre of some sort so they could see that we were enthusiastic and we knew it. And they had a, uh, they had basically a hole to fill because they had a, they had some investor, they had an investor, and they had uh, like a timeline that they wanted to hit. They just didn't have a script, and we didn't either. And uh, our, we hadn't finished our, the latest project we were working on at the time. And our manager, Mark Manis, had a script that uh, he shared. You know, two other clients of his had uh, that was just under option called Shut In, which was the original title of the film, and that was coming out under option, I think, in April of 2014. Fourteen, yeah. We, I mean, we were in the we were in the weird position of, you know, hooking up with uh, Lottie and Krista, wanting to make a movie with us. They had an investor who had money and was just looking for the right project. Um, he liked what we did with delivery and was like, this seemed like the right team. So that was a weird position of having money before and just trying to find a project. And then when <laughs> when shut in came off option, um, it checked all the boxes for all the producers what they were looking for. But for us, it was just a unique a unique enough spin on a familiar trope that it made it interesting for us. You know, that's, that's the one thing we kind of pride ourselves in, and the one thing that we really enjoy is trying to take something that, um, um, an expectation, and kind of twist it on its head, and, and that's exactly what Delivery does, and that's exactly what, what Intruders does. So, um, you know, T.J. Simple and David White, the writers of it, they did a fantastic job um, laying the groundwork for this, you know, this twisty-turny story, and... Um, we were, uh, it was go, go, go. Once, once everybody signed off on it, it was like we were shooting, I think, four or five months later. Wow. So, yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess your guys' careers have been kind of a whirlwind, huh? Recently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, not yeah. prior to that, I mean, that's, that's kind of what happens. I think the fun thing about this is meeting a lot of people that are kind of in our, you know, circle of, of, you know, contemporaries is probably the better word. So, you know, we, we, we're fans, we're fans first and foremost. Our, as we would say, in our class, in our class. In our class, you know, like, in our graduate Yeah, in class. our class. Every five years you get a group of filmmakers that kind of kind of come up together and do films and they kind of move along career-wise. So we, we were able to travel with Delivery first off. We went to 17 different festivals all over the world and intruders played at several festivals all over the world. And you get, it's fun, you get to meet and hang out with other filmmakers that have, you know, films that are playing at those festivals and similar, similar budget ranges, you know, mostly horror, thriller stuff, and, you know, it's just fun to meet everybody and kind of cheer, cheer each other on, you know. But the stories we, are always so different. The stories are, you know, yeah. like Delivery was self-funded. Uh, this one, uh, wait, Delivery was self-funded, it was done kind of like a, a large, you know, student film in the sense that we had a very small crew and a lot of people wore different hats. And then you go to something like uh, Intruders, which had a very small cast, but a lot of producers, and it was a, it was just learning to work with you know different types of people, different creative uh, minds and inputs and notes, and and that was actually it was pretty seamless for us. But I think what I was saying is about the different people have different stories for how they kind of crack in, and that's what that's what's fun about it. There's really just no one way in, and I don't know that we're consider ourselves in, but we're we're on the path that we wanted to be on, and and hopefully you know looking forward to the next things that we're able to mount and put together. Cool. So you guys talked about how you've, you've always been into horror and you made horror movies in your backyard. What was the first thing that really got you into horror? Um, 
first met Gus, it, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it was, you know, I know the, I know kind of what got me into, into wanting to make movies. Uh, that have to be, I have to give that to my, to my dad because my, when, when I was younger, I have a sister, an older sister. She's about five years older than me. She would, she had like dance. She went to dance. So, um, my dad would always have to take her to dance and, you know, I'm five years younger. So instead of dropping her off, turning around and driving back home, you know, it was about a 30 minute drive from our house. You would have to like literally drive home, turn around, come back and pick her up. We would just literally go across the street to the theater that was there. So I, I was, you know, when I was eight years old, seven, eight years old, I saw every movie that, that came out. You know what I mean? She had practice four days a week. We saw four movies a week for a good two years. So I, I really think that was the seed of filmmaking for me, just seeing it on the big screen and just being blown away. I, I, I saw movies I probably shouldn't have seen in the theater, you know, like Die, I mean, Predator, and, you know, these movies that I should be seeing at, at that age, but... Um, I think really that kind of planted the seed and kind of got me going in that direction. Yeah, I, I know, you know, when we were, when my parents came out, they flew out from we did our premiere for delivery and stuff. My, my mother brought, I used to draw a lot when I was young, brought out um, some things I had done to get kept. And I, you know, it was, it was something I had done on a sheet of paper. It was, you know, like a graveyard scene. It was like, you know, your, your requisite mist. And there was something crawling out of the earth and it was like a werewolf in the background. And I and it, I looked at the date. I was I drew that when I was seven. So I you know for whatever reason I've always been I've always gravitated towards the darker stuff. I don't you know try to psychoanalyze it. I I, I enjoy being scared. I I know a lot of filmmakers that don't. When they're watching a film, they get caught up more in the craft and they don't really you know fall into the story, which I think is unfortunate because that's one of the reasons I love about a good thriller or a good horror film is because. I love that knot in my stomach, and I enjoy giving that, you know, I like giving that to other people. I like that we can create films that are able to do that for the audience. So I've always enjoyed films like that, and they're very visual. I, I, I really respond to visual, you know, to, to artwork or, or what have you. So, and horror films are inherently very visual films. So um, I'm just, I just anything that can evoke a reaction from an audience, whether you're laughing or crying or jumping, I've always responded to stuff like that. And horror is, you know, oftentimes you can put all three in a good horror film. Do you, either of you remember your first horror film? I, say, that, say that again, I'm sorry. Do you remember the first horror film you ever saw? Mm, I remember, I remember the first one that had an impact on me. I, was, I stayed over at... Um, I stayed over at... Uh, we had a babysitter, and, and I think I was in second grade, and at that point she had... Nightmare on Elm Street 2 had come out. And I remember I was watching say the same thing. I was going to say Nightmare on Elm Street 2. That, that's funny. I remember watching that's, it at her house, which my parents would have never allowed me to do. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember watching it there. And I, I, I mean, talk about having an impact. I, 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 you know, shortly after that, you know, I remember I made a, a Freddy glove, which was basically, you know, those knit, you know, winter gloves that you have that you put on. So I took, I took paper clips and I, and I taped them to the end of every finger. <laughs> and, I, and I took it to school. Uh, and needless to say, it was taken away. <laughs> but uh, I mean, if there's ever any, if there's ever any doubt that that you know, media in any form, music, television, movies have an impact, that they, they don't have an impact. They certainly do. I mean, I, I was completely fell in love with the character, and, and I was obviously scared out of my mind. But I loved that. So that's the one that made the most impact on me at a young age. Nice. It's just unfortunate that. Of all the nightmare movies, it was the second one. But. <laughs> <laughs> true, that's true. I went back and watched it not too recently, and I, 
I was uh, kind of taken aback by the performances, but um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's you know, par for the course. I think at the, that for that parts of that era. Yeah. So, um, you know, kind of jumping backwards, I guess a little bit. Um, you kind of mentioned that you know you guys have been friends for so long and you'd make films you know in your backyard and um things like things like that so i guess when did it really hit you guys it's like okay this is this is the career i mean this is this is what's this is what i have to do well the funny thing is i don't think i ever i don't think personally i ever had a moment where i was just like the realization hit me. It was just—it's kind of been always been a part of my life since that since that one day we we made a. I mean, the first movie that we made was a ripoff of Child's Play with a Cabbage Patch doll, <laughs> um, and it was just Brian and I. Like we we would each take turns being in front of the camera. You know, we'd make stuff. You know, the sequel to it, and the the, the third one, and the fourth one, and we would just switch off being the actor and whatever. But. From then on, it was just kind of like, I know our parents probably were thinking, oh, it's just going to be a phase at some point that grow out of it and be on to something else. But it just kept building, you know. In, in high school, when our friends were saving up money and trying to buy cars and stuff, we were we bought video cameras. Like, we each bought a, like, high eight video camera nice. to shoot movies on. And uh, that's, just, that's just the few guys we were. So, um, you know, and, and we, we grew up, like I said, we grew up in Minnesota. So, in the early, you know, late 80s, in the 80s, but early 90s when there was, we were in high school in the early 90s when there was actually a decent film industry in Minnesota. You know, Coen Brothers shot Fargo and A Simple Plan was being shot, and that was when we were in high school and stuff. So we were lucky enough to kind of hit a high point when films were being made in Minnesota. So we got a, a decent amount of experience being able to just kind of be around those, try to jump onto productions and this and that. And that just kind of helped fuel, fuel, our, you know, fuel it. But we took every class we could, you know, local community college classes, anything you could find. There was a, there was a film, film in the cities, I think it was called, which offered like 16-millimeter film courses independent of any type of like college or anything. And I remember taking those courses and just being fascinated with it and w loving showing our stuff to people and seeing people's reactions and stuff. And so it just kind of, it always felt like the natural thing to me. Like that's the thing. And Brian and I talk about this a lot, you know, it's a gift and a curse to kind of know what you want to do in fi in fifth grade <laughs> because you're like, because you know what you want to do with your life and, and that's, and that's fantastic. So you have something to shoot for and go for and strive for, but it's also like the only thing that I'm would be interested in doing. Like, you know, my dad, I owned an insurance company. It, I, I could have gone into insurance. I did work insurance after college to save up money. And it was the most mind numbing thing I ever, I, I just would sit there and daydream about, movie ideas and write scripts and, and what have you. So, um, you know, I still know a lot of people that, you know, we're in our late 30s. I still know people that don't, I mean, they're working jobs and stuff, but they don't know what they want to do with their life. And that's, that terrifies me. So I'm like, I'm so glad that I know what I want to do. Filmmaking is hard, and it's hard to make a living being a filmmaker. So hopefully we can take the take the uh, momentum from intruders and, and get another project going. I think it's just all about momentum, keeping keeping yourself busy, keep writing, keep working on your craft, and keep it going. So hopefully that's what happens. But I got on a tangent. Sorry. That's <laughs> cool. Um, so let's talk about intruders. Um, so uh, when did when did this actually come uh, release to the public? 
Uh, when did it come out? It came out January, uh, what was it, 15th? January, 15th. Just January 15th, so about, okay. yeah, just literally about, uh, literally about a month ago. Okay, so, and you said you've, you know, done, done the, the festival circuit, like, pretty thoroughly, right? Yeah, I played it. It's, we, we world premiered at uh, the Los Angeles Film Festival uh, June of last year, so 2015. Um, and then off of that, it, it played uh, several other festivals. It played Fright, Fe- uh, Fright Fest in the UK. It played Toronto After Dark in Toronto. Uh, we played at Ramos Creek, which is in Norway. Um, I think it is going to be playing at, um, uh, which one is it? Bel- um, the Belgium one. What is it? Uh, we're playing at one more festival, I think. Brussels, yeah, sorry, Brussels, Brussels, uh, Fantastic Film Fest. I think that'll be the end of its festival run. Um, but uh, yeah, we were lucky to have our world premiere and have you know this is an independent film, so outside the studio system, totally mm-hmm. uh, privately financed. So you're always hoping that you'll you'll get a distributor that'll watch it and, and like it enough to to buy it. That's that's always the big thing. So we were lucky enough to to sell out of LA Film Festival and. Uh, E1 is our distributor. They've been they've been fantastic. They really put some put some um, elbow grease behind getting it out there and stuff. So it, it seems the, the response seems to be pretty good. I think people seem to like it. I mean, we were it's it's the type of thing that I think will catch some people off guard. It's it's not your average home invasion thing, and I think sometimes people think it is going into it and are hopefully pleasantly surprised by the twists and turns that um, that happen. So. Yeah, I definitely did. Uh, it did have you know that that you know typical like you said home invasion feel to it at first, and then it kind of gets flipped on its head a little bit. Um, and I, I won't I, I won't discuss any further about that just in case there's anybody listening <laughs> that intends to see it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a tough it's a tough movie to discuss without giving away spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Well, tread light tread lightly, but yeah, yeah. We know we know that uh, that feeling. Mm. It's kind of our business, um, anyway. Um, but uh, so let's talk about uh, the production a little bit. Um, kind of how did this? I mean, you, you talked about uh, you know getting optioned, and um, but how did how did you how did how did it come to you? I mean, um, and I mean, was this something that you sought yeah. out, or did somebody come to you with it? Or well, it, you know, yeah. Go ahead, bro. I was gonna say, oh, yeah. I mean, well, when our manager, we had read it years before. Uh, Mark Manis, our manager, we had read it years before, and at that time it was kind of going from one option to the next to the next. And so when we had this opportunity, um, you know, it was Krista Campbell and Lottie Grobman were the head of the, uh, you know, they were the people that brought us into the project, but there was a lot of other really cool people involved, uh, you know, Matthew Lamoth, Tommy Volopoulos, Eric Olson, who was on the ground with us filming, and and these are people that have had a lot of success and, and done a lot of really cool things. And so they, you know, they were part of the team. We just needed the script. And like, as we said, uh, fortunately, it was coming out from under option. So, you know, Mark sent it to us and said, what do you guys think about this? At that point, we were just reading different things. That had come in. They, none of them really, you know, kept us, it didn't really capture our, our attention. And this one did, and we knew that the other people, you know, the other team that I just mentioned would be excited about it, and fortunately they were. So it really was a matter of, um, you know, like I said, the money was, it was, the money was there waiting for a project to invest in, which is so rare. So April it came out from under option. We were casting in June, hopped on a plane to Shreveport in mid June, and we were filming in August. So in Shreveport, uh, which is lovely uh, at that time. Of the year. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately for us, it wasn't the hottest it's been. It, it could have been, 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, we got on the ground, and you know, Shreveport is about six hours north of New, of New Orleans, so it has a smaller infrastructure, you know, film-wise, uh, crew-wise, than, than New Orleans does. But the great thing is, you're pulling people from different nearby states, like Texas. Uh, some actors we got from Texas. Got another one, great one, uh, Josh Michael, who played Vance, came from Atlanta. And then there's a lot of people that just in the area that really want to work, and and um, you know, we were able to to assemble a really cool crew. Um, and people that really wanted to be there because they liked the project, because it's a small film, so whenever you have a small film, it's not a payday for people. They're there because they believe in the project, they believe in the people behind it, and they want to put their name on something. I mean, uh, people are hungry. So, you know, we, we're in a good place. And um, probably the most fortuitous thing we that happened to us is the house. I don't know if you want to talk about how we found the house, but that's, you know, a huge part of the success of the film and the look of the film. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, our, our our great our great location guy Kendrick down in Shreveport um, found the house for us. We had gone out and done a little bit of location scouting, hadn't really found anything that really fit the bill as far as the look and aesthetic and tone and everything. Um, and then he said he was just driving by this house one day, and it wasn't on any of his maps or any of his kind of databases for places to film. And he just pulled over and knocked on the door. Um, and it, as it turns out, the, the owner of the house um, had kind of had gone to hospice or whatever and passed away like a year prior or whatever, and her daughter and now owned the house. She lived like half a mile down the road, and um, when, her, when her mother passed away, she kind of locked the house up and hadn't really gone in there in like a year. So when we showed up, it was like nature was reclaiming it. There was like a tree branch to the wall, and there was um, just dust everywhere and it was just kind of like it hadn't been lived in in a year or so that was fortuitous we actually had to bring in some deep cleaning crews to kind of clean it and get it up to the, the uncleanliness level that you see in the film <laughs> I was going to say but, it looks pretty but, lived in <laughs> you should yeah, see yeah, the yeah, look I mean, on the, the, the cleaning crew that was brought in the look on their face when they walked in <laughs> 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 they were probably thinking we're going to have to ask for twice you know twice as much because it was just I mean the place was pretty as you can imagine um, it's already old uh, the home is already old, so, you know, it, it's just, it really was uh, a project. But at the same time, there's no way you could have built anything or even dressed something to kind of have that, that just, that lived in, like, it just felt like it had history, and it, and it certainly mm-hmm. did. We heard lots of interesting stories. Um, but, uh... Um, I mean, our, it was our, our, our production designer, Wiley, was, he did a fantastic job with, with taking the, the previous homeowner's kind of history and kind of melding it into the characters in our story, you know what I mean? Moving things around and, and shifting things and adding to it to really, you know, there's a lot of little touches of CD in the back, and if people watch it or watch it a second time, they'll notice, hopefully notice some things that he's done and some themes that we've played with. Um, but he he was a fa- he did a fantastic, he and his crew did a fantastic job of, like, making it feel, because it did feel, I mean, obviously it felt lived in, um, but there was kind of an organized, he came in and organized the chaos a little bit and, and made it feel like, you know, not just the house that we t- we stepped into, you know, mm-hmm. but very much a part of Anna's life and, and Conrad's life. Um, so they did a fantastic job. Yeah, and then I, and I have to say, you know, Eric Leach, our DP, he was able to capture it. Him and those guys were able to. I mean, we shot this movie in 15 days, so wow. that is very that is very fast. Like 25 to 30 days is considered fast. This is was insane. So you know, we hired Eric Leach who, I mean, he, he did an amazing job. He, he 
he's done, you know, independent films. He's worked on huge budget, $100 million movies. Um, so he was raring to go, and he, he knew, I mean, sometimes he had to light a scene and get ready to shoot it in, like, five minutes, which is, like, insane, <laughs> five, ten minutes. Like, okay, and, you know, the actors get three takes, and it was just very quick. So he just needed the right the right crew to be able to uh, be able to take the stress that's involved in something like that and make sure that you kind of um, capture that that frenetic pace and kind of and use it to our advantage and 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 Eric Leach did a fantastic job so I just had to I had to shout his name out because he's he's great. Nice, yeah. I mean, I that's something I picked up on is just uh, how well it cap like I mean just different lighting and clearly like different filters on the cameras and uh, captured different moods very well. And so, yeah, that was the, the, the technical aspect of it was done very well. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, picked he, up on that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times yeah. the films, they don't, a lot of people, I mean, the production design, uh, to the, to the look of the film, the DP, all that stuff really pleased that people are picking that out because I think they did a great job. I think they did a great job. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I was, it was, it, we 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 really did luck out with the house because, I mean, we chose to shoot this this movie in widescreen, which could be the kiss of death for a, a low budget independent horror thriller. Usually, usually you don't see that. They like to shoot it like up close and kind of hide backgrounds and stuff. So it could have really backfired if we if we didn't find the the, uh, the specific location we did. But um, having made that choice and then getting the house we did, I, I was really glad to be able to capture you know the actors working within the environment and really capture you know the background you know what i mean see that background see mm-hmm. you see this house that they're living in and stuff and hopefully the the house came across as a character almost um that's what our hope was at least yeah it had a very um oh what's the word i'm looking for um yeah i'm not intimidating i guess but i don't know it, it yeah it definitely had its own presence and uh a, uh, kind of a, a looming presence, especially when you you see it from outside. Um, yeah, it's, it's a gorgeous house. I mean, like d- despite its age. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, yeah, it, 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 yeah. I mean, it. They don't. I mean, it's not something. I mean, that's the thing. You, you know, when you have small films, um, you don't often get to travel uh, to make them, and so the decision to go to Shreveport was, you know, made sense because we knew we were going to be looking for kind of a remote setting. In remote setting in Los Angeles versus a remote setting in Shreveport is two different things. So it really, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just uh, it, it really was a, a perfect place to find. Now, if there's one thing Shreveport has, it's lots of remote settings. So we um, we we lucked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I, I I grew up in LA, and I know that being the town that it is, you can basically make LA look like anything. But it's like I know they don't have those like those old plantation style houses down in LA so like okay they yeah. must have gone somewhere <laughs> yeah uh-huh. yeah beautiful Shreveport which we had it's it blast on it it's all I mean when you're when you're off when you're on location like that it's a really small town and you have nothing to do besides focus on the movie so in that respect it's it's uh, it's a benefit good so as, as a huge freaks and geeks fan I have to ask how did you guys get hooked up with Martin Starr <laughs> Martin, he uh, he actually um, somebody sent him the script. Shannon, and he was just really, he really, director. yeah, our casting director sent him the script, and he just really um, uh, he really responded to it. And the funny thing is, he responded to the, the character of Perry, which is the character he played. 
a lot of times people want to be because you know people for people who haven't seen it his character is not he won't be called the the heavyweight the number one bad guy but he he plays a very kind of wild card kind of thing and that's really he really came in and we sat down with him and, and chatted about the role and he really liked the Perry role and he told us what he really liked about it was that the fact that it gives him an opportunity to play something he has never played before. Um, you know, Brian and I had discussed it, and, and I always thought that he was a perfect fit for it because he can do this. He does it in his comedy. He does this kind of dead-behind-the-eyes kind of thing where you don't know what yes. he's thinking, you know? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's great. It, he uses a great comedic effect in his com- uh, comedic roles, but we thought this would be great for a really wild car, the, you know, the Dwight Yoakam character, like in Panic Room, that kind of guy where you just you don't know what he's thinking. Mm-hmm. And th- that's what I love what, what, what he did about his performances. There's a lot of just kind of like silent moments between it where you're just kind of looking at him and you don't know what he's thinking, you know what I mean? Like if he's going to shake your hand or stab you in the neck, you know, it's <laughs> like one of those kind of things. And we thought it was a great, it would be a great fit. And he's actually a physically opposing guy. I, I didn't realize how he's decently tall and six six one or something and and pretty built so i i was i was surprised at that but i felt okay he got the physicality of it and he can, and he you know and uh he can go dead behind the eyes like that and and he came in and he just knocked it off i mean he's a true professional and just came in and he he was that character from day one and and uh he he, he, he was meant to play this part i was like holy crap he really he he really did a great job as did everybody i mean you know, let's talk about Beth. You know, Beth, the whole movie is about her, <laughs> mm-hmm. essentially. So she came in. She was the first person we auditioned, literally the very first person we auditioned. We were very keen, Brian and I were very keen on having um, um, actresses come in and, and audition for the role, read the lines. Um, a lot of times you get to a point where it's just like, does it offer only? So you can just, uh, you look at their past body work and you offer them the role, but we were very keen on saying, hey, this is a really intricate role. It's It's not like your normal for a thriller role, there's a lot of complexity to it. There's a lot of layers, so we just need to be able to see that somebody can come in and do it. And she came in. She was the first person that came in. She had, like, dyed her hair a different color. You know, she's blonde, but she dyed her hair brown. And she came in and blew us away. And we were just, like, after literally the first person, and we looked at each other like, whoa. <laughs> Obviously, you go, th- you go through your steps, and you, and you go through, you know, auditioning people and, and trying. But we just kept going back to that. We were just like, this is, she was meant to play this role. Like, this is... This was her performance was great. Her audition was great, and yeah, we just kept going back back to her, and eventually, you know, eventually we hired her, so or got her in the role. So, um, and and she, you know, she did she does a ton with her eyes and facial expressions. You know, she she has a lot of scenes where she doesn't say anything much, but her facial expressions tell the entire story, and and that was just a key part to it. So she, you know, she did a bang up job. Yeah, she. Uh you know the. I, I knew her from the the show Leverage, um, and yeah. uh, I knew she played kind of like a, you know kind of a, a a cocky badass chick on that show, and this was definitely contrary to that. So it was it was kind of strange to see her in such a drastically different role. Um, but I, I mean, I guess there were elements of that kind of character in her. Um, again, kind of treading lightly. <laughs> um, All right. Um, and then also, you know, you also had, uh, is it, is it Jack Casey? Yeah, Jack Cassie. Jack Cassie. Cassie, yeah, from The Strain. He, he's awesome. He, he's great. He, he's really, he's a really physical actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, uh, again, he, when he came in to audition, you know, our, our 
casting director, uh, Shannon, knew him personally. We were trying to find somebody that kind of had that imposing figure, but wasn't necessarily like a super bad guy. You want you want to be able to kind of like at some point not to give anything away, but you kind of want to feel like okay, maybe you feel bad for him. You know, you can kind yeah. of feel, you want a bad guy that you can kind of feel bad for, and he. He's a sympathetic guy, you know, but he's really physical and he could really turn it on and he wants to. And so she just called him up. We were having some session. He called him up. He's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a couple blocks away. So he little walked over and he blew us away with like a, a, a just a, gave him the pages. He took five minutes to look him over and came in and just blew us away. We were like, wow. So, you know, he's got that kind of like gosling looks, but the Christian Bale kind of intensity to him, you know? Yeah, so I could see that. He, uh, He's yeah. He he did a fantastic job, and you know it was kind of just making sure making sure that we had a nice mix of 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 the three bad guys. Like they had to feel like they would be friends, um, and that JP would you know Jack's character would would be the number one guy, and Perry would would listen to what he says, but still be the wild card. So it was it was kind of a delicate kind of trio that we needed to put together. But I, I think you know with Shannon, our casting director, I mean. I think we did a fantastic job, and they all they all came in and did a bang up job. I mean, it's uh, they weren't easy roles. They weren't cookie cutter easy roles. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, this is kind of a, a sudden change of subject here, but uh, the 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 seller. Now, was that? I would. This may be a dumb question, but was that in the house or was that a, a, a stage? That was a stage. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was a stage. It's like yeah, we, uh, it, you know, there there was no seller there, but even so, we knew. I mean, the, the trick was just going to be trying to match a stage to an actual location. We would have really just been, uh, you know, we were going to choose a location, the best location anyway, and then we we really were building it as we were filming because we were filming all of our real location stuff first, and then we went into the stage. So they basically had a couple of weeks head start. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, you know, I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna dive into some of the more interesting stuff of the, of uh, you know, of the seller, but I think I'll leave that. Because <laughs> 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 we have some fun stories about that. But uh, yeah, they did a fantastic job on a really small uh, budget and, and small amount of time. That's all I'll say. You know, because Wiley Fowler, who was our production designer, this is kind of a production designer's dream. This project because it, it is one location and there's a lot to see packed in there, but it's also uh, difficult because there's a lot of um, moving parts. Uh, and and um, it all had to feel very seamless. And, and uh, it, but I just say that parts of the cellar, the, the cellar really was two different locations within one. Uh, two, you know, so it made it look like one giant cellar, but we filmed them in two different locations. One's an actual mm-hmm. real location, and the other one was a stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, mixed with the upstairs, which is a real location. So the, the fact that I think it all closed together very seamless is a credit to Adam and to... Uh, Eric Leach and to Wiley that they all made it feel like you were all in one place. Movie magic. <laughs> cool. So what what's next for you guys? You got anything new you're working on or? Uh, we actually yeah we actually just uh, finished writing a sci-fi script. Hopefully we're hoping that that will be the next project. But um, yeah, I mean we're just you know as things go, you just kind of you you, you take more meetings and you meet normal people. And, you know, we were having scripts sent to us that we're reading a ton and, and we're writing. And, um, hopefully the sci-fi script is the next thing or, you know. 
or you know, and and we're developing a TV show too. Um, oh, cool! With a really cool team, so hopefully, you know, those those take a little while to kind of flourish, but sure. Is that is that a genre show? That's a genre show. Yeah. Nice. That's a genre show. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, we'll always have a foot in genre, you know, whether it's crime or sci-fi or horror or thriller. We always that's the stuff we love. So it feels like that's kind of our home base for right now. Awesome. Okay, so um, I guess uh, we'll kind of close things out here. Um, you want to guy? You guys want to go ahead and uh, you know uh, plug some some websites or twitters or or, or whatever you might have. Uh, all, I, all I would say for your listeners is you know. Um, independent films like ours really need the audience to find it. We need people to search the movie out and find it, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, um, so the place that you can find the movie, if you haven't seen it or whatever, you can find it on Amazon, you can find it on iTunes, you can find it on Google Play, it's on Vudu, it's on your DirecTV, VOD um, outlets. Um, I do know that the, v- the DVD is coming out, I think it's coming out March first or march 2nd okay um so that'll be available that'll be available for people to uh to find i'm sure there'll be that'll be uh at all the big box places but um if people watch it and like it we just ask that you just write a review write a quick one two word review one or two sentences maybe on amazon and itunes that stuff really matters it actually really matters it really kind of it helps get the word out there and if you like it talk about the movie you know that's that's how people you know how we can bring more viewers to it so um, we appreciate you guys having us on and giving us an, uh, an outlet to, to talk about the movie and, um, yeah, and hopefully absolutely. we can uh, keep it going. Hopefully we can keep them going, get another one going. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, Brian, Adam, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, it was really great talking to you. Thanks uh, for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Man. And I uh, wish you all the, all the best and you know, best luck in the future and, uh, you know, welcome on the show again anytime. Thanks, Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Yep. Bye. I got that gray fly. I got that gray fly. I got that gray It's right off the highway. Wobble dee wobble dee drop into my gray plot. You afraid of death? Well, I'm afraid not. Cause I got the bomb spot right off the highway. I did it my way. A very small percentage. Oh, lovely interview. Lovely gentleman. Yes. Uh, check out their movie, Intruders. On VOD now. Yes, Amazon and I think iTunes. It's on Google Play. That's where I, that's where I watched it. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, check it out. Okay, uh, now let's do some reviews. What do you want to do first? I want to get cabin fever out of the way. <laughs> uh, you're going to love it. It's just peace and relaxation and relentless pounding for like six days. <laughs> Don't forget about the beer. Wow. The place is amazing. Sometimes you've known someone a really long time. You just want to kiss them just to see if they're a good kisser. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Whoa, whoa. Boy, that's how people get themselves shot. It looks like you guys were having some kind of party last night. She's sick. 
I'm not dying like that. What are we dying? I don't want to infect everyone. No, any one of you could have it. Them kids got disease. If a cattle gets sick, you gotta oh. kill it before it spreads the rest of her. Where are you going? To get help. I don't want to get sick. I don't want any of us to get sick. Man, you're not looking so good. I don't look so good! Alright, so this this is gonna be kind of a weird review. Uh mostly because I'm gonna spoil stuff. But <laughs> but only because it's exactly the fucking same as the movie from two thousand two. Yeah. So, uh it starts out we got a group of college are they college they're college kids, right? Yeah. College age anyways. Uh going up to a cabin, have some, some fun in the sun, drink some beers. Some broskies. <laughs> Some broskies. Yeah. Because that's a thing people say. Uh, Not in that context. <laughs> no. Right. You know, smoke some doobies. Fuck some vaginas. P in V-G. Yes. A whole lot of that. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, uh, notice, noticeably missing is Sean Hunter sure. and, and Sweet Lou. Yeah. Why even why even make a movie without Sweet Lou? <laughs> I know. Sweet Lou should be in all the movies. Yeah. <laughs> bam um, snap. Bam snap. And he should have that mustache all the time. <laughs> uh they stop to get some uh some supplies at a local shop. Shoppy. Local not haberdasher, that's a hat store. <laughs> It's a, it's a, like a general store. A bodega. A bodega. <laughs> you know, one of those standalone <laughs> bodegas. In the middle of nowhere. <laughs> no, it's like a, like a backwoods country general store. Yeah. Thing. And uh, there, this weird little shithead named Dennis in a bunny mask for some reason. He was not wearing a bunny mask in the original. No. But he just bites fools. Yeah. Indiscriminately. Uh, both in the original and in this one, I never really understood what the point of this kid is. Anyway. I guess just to point out how fucking weird these backwoods hillbillies are. I guess. But anyways, so then the kids... I want to point out... Okay, point it. The, the, the point kids... With, point with your finger. <laughs> Let me tell you something. <laughs> The kid's dad was so bad. Like, At just, acting? Just, yeah. Uh. Like, dude, are you even trying? <laughs> I mean, I know it's not a big role, but I think we can do better than this. Yeah. <laughs> Wayne's role, too. <laughs> he was just so bad. Like, 
<laughs> is that is that your whole point? Well, I thought maybe you'd like help me out here. He he was he was bad. I agree. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> he was not particularly good. He, like I said, he just like he wasn't trying. Like he's like, oh, this is just a day's work, just a paycheck. Fuck it. Maybe he was. Maybe he thought it was beneath him. (laughs) This is beneath a lot of people. (laughs) Anyways, kids get their supplies. They head on down the road. Uh, They get to their cabin. And the first night they're met by a guy named Grim. Well, actually, before that, uh, one of the guys, what's his name? The nerdy one. Uh... Bert. Bert, yeah. Who does not look like a Bert in this one. He looked much more like a Bert in the original. He was originally portrayed by um dude from uh, Detroit Rock City. I can't remember his name. There's a bunch of people from Detroit Rock City in the original. There was? Well, there was two. Who's the other one? The guy that played the cop. Oh, yeah. Giuseppe Andrews, I think his name is. Some, that sounds right, yeah. Um. But so Bert comes across this diseased homeless person and uh, shoots him, <laughs> shoots him with a gun, Yeah. <laughs> which in the original is like a pump handle shotgun or pump handle rifle. It's just a ri- like a rifle. Yeah. Yeah. Like and this one gun or something in this one, it's an assault rifle. Right. It's a fully automatic assault rifle that he brought to shoot squirrels because America. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just God-given, right? God-given, yep. <laughs> and uh, That's what God said on the seventh day. He didn't rest. He said, let there be guns. Yeah, he said, let's, let's shoot. Yeah. Let's do some shooting. <laughs> uh, and then he tells the guy to piss off, basically, mm-hmm. and goes about his way. And then the rest of the crew, they meet up with this guy, Grimm, who in the original is Eli Roth. And I fully expected to be Eli Roth again and was kind of disappointed when it wasn't. That would have been cool. And I like I saw somewhere that Eli Roth was in this, but it must have been bad information. I didn't see him anywhere. Me neither. Uh, but yeah, Grimm is just a weirdo. Yeah. And a, a completely different kind of weirdo than the original. Well, he's... Yeah, yeah. But he, he, gives, he puts off this vibe like he's got something sinister planned yeah like he knows something yeah but but palamine you don't know shit (laughs) but he never bad santa (laughs) but he never actually does anything no he's just a weird guy (laughs) yeah so he he goes to pack up his stuff because it starts raining so then the rest of the crew is in the cabin uh homeless joe comes back homeless joe (laughs) That was his name. Uh, and they actually, he doesn't have a name. No, he's pancakes. That was the dog. <laughs> that was the dog. Uh, which was weird. And Wait, were, no, he did have a name. His name was Henry. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they find that out later. Yeah. Okay. So Henry the Henry. Old Hank. They uh, <laughs> Hank comes to the door and he's like, "I need help," and they're like, "Maybe you bite me." <laughs> But don't bite me. <laughs> yeah, but but don't literally bite me. Don't actually touch me at all. Mm-hmm. 
And then he gets in their car, so they decide to shoot out the tires and hit the window, because that's what you do. Yep. And then they set Hank on fire. Um, and he goes and falls in the, in the lake and dies. And then they all start freaking out. Oh my god, oh my god, we killed him, oh my god. What have we done? And so then the next day, they're trying to fix the car so they can go get help. Sheriff comes along. Like we talked about, the first one is this guy named Giuseppe Andrews, who's just a weirdo. (laughs) He's like, oh, you're the party guy. You're Mr. Party Man. Yeah. Uh, In this one, it's a hot blonde. Right. With Uh, a scar over her eye or under her eye. Would have thought that would be like something. They point, they made a point of showing it like close up but then never ever explain what it is right and the thing about her being a hot blonde in this one like i said in the original he's like yeah dude it's cool you're partying i understand we should party together sometime which when it's a blonde lady just comes off like she's trying to fuck right and Almost seemed like she was a lesbian. Or bisexual or something, yeah. yeah. Like she was trying to just get down with everybody. That's her. She's Scottish. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Hit her accent well. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Just changing the gender of that particular character was weird. Yeah. There's no reason or explanation behind it either not in the movie from what i understand todd zaruni uh said that it was because giuseppe andrew was so good in the role that he wanted to change it so it didn't like try and now that was such a minor role is that something you can really say that guy like he nailed it like just shut it down yeah you can't top that no like I don't know. I, I can't. I can't even think of something to compare it to. But anyway. But eventually, one by one, they start getting really sick, and they start getting this flesh-eating disease. And uh, you know, if if you've seen the original, you know what happens from there. It's it, shit starts falling off on them. Shit starts falling off people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, literally, not just figuratively. It's literally. Laurelly. Um the end is different. Is it? It is. Okay. I haven't seen the original in a while. I oh, you, you didn't get a chance to watch it? No, I didn't. Well, in the original, uh Paul beats the sheriff over the head with a pipe, then uh steals his car, goes to the hospital, and then while he's in the hospital, the cops make him take him back, make him take them back to the cabin. And then they, they shoot him there. Right. Okay. Yeah. That didn't happen. And then Joey Kern comes out of hiding (laughs) and he's like, I survived. And then they shoot him. Right. Which something similar happens to that in this one, but it is a little different. A bit. But the whole part with Paul is completely different. Yeah which I won't spoil that. Um, so yeah, the, the biggest difference 
between the two movies is the tone. Uh, Eli Roth's 2002 version is this like over the top jet black comedy mm-hmm. horror movie. And this one is like this dark, sinister, brooding horror movie. There's no comedy whatsoever. Well, not necessarily. I guess Burt Not has, to the degree that there was in the original. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's Burt. I mean, there was no, there was no like dark comedy. The comedy was written like as comedy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, the, 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 the sheriff was still kind of a comic relief. A little weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's felt like a TV movie to me. Yeah. Although gory as shit. Sure. It just, I mean, we we get it out, get it out of the way that this was completely pointless. Yes, as a, as a remake, this movie is pointless. Yeah, I mean the the movie was from two thousand two, the original, so fourteen years. It's like, can, I can't think of another movie that was remade that quickly. Can you? Um, not unless you count like foreign ones. Right, and no, then no. So. I just don't. I don't know how somebody got it into their head that this was not only necessary but a good idea. Well, and like, I mean, Travis Zaruni even said that he was, you know, he was working off the original script. Mm-hmm. But it's like the the dialogue is exactly the same, and even a lot of the direction is exactly the same. Yeah, the but. shots are lined up the same. They're executed the same. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what the fuck is the point? Yeah. You're not adding anything. And he said he changed all the death scenes. I can only think of one death scene that was different. They were kind of executed differently, but essentially they were the same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, this movie is different in, in that it had different actors. It was in a different location and, you know, had the lines were delivered differently. Other than that, it was the exact same movie. Yeah. And the end is different. Right. Um, I think working with the original script was a bad idea. So do I. Because, you mean, that's that's what happens. That's how you make a, like a carbon copy of a movie, is you work from the original script. Now, there's a difference between honoring your, your source material and plagiarism. <laughs> yeah. Now, this movie had Eli Roth's blessing. Mm-hmm. We've commented recently on the last two movies of his that we've reviewed that he has lost his charm. Yeah. The shine done worn off. And so having his blessing and saying that it's good, it's like, Okay. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, Stephen King. I mean, he's he's well. Pe- people seem to take his opinion of things as gospel, and more often than not, it's just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I get the change in tone, 
And I don't know if that was the whole point. I don't know if that was Zaruni's main goal was just he wanted to make it much darker and much more straightforward, serious horror movie. Which, I mean, if that was his only goal, then I guess mission accomplished. Yeah, I guess. But I feel like you could have just recut the original and it could achieve the same thing. Yeah. And again, just why go back to the original script? Why work from it? Take the premise and make your own movie. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. The similarities were just ridiculous. Like, it seemed like... Well, like I said, even the directing was the same. Like, Mm -hmm. it's one thing to use the original script, but then to just, like, have the two movies side by side and they look exactly the same. Yeah. I'd almost like to compare running times. Yeah? See how similar they are. Yeah. Because it almost seemed like it was even paced the same. It pretty much was. Um, And something I, you know, I haven't watched the original in a long time. Um, and I, so I can't confirm this, but it seemed like at, at, at times, at certain points in the movie, even the costumes were the same or similar. Uh, I didn't pay that much attention, so I don't know, but, but in particular when, um, Paul, when Karen is starting to go to shit and you know, they've got, they got her locked up in that little shed. Yeah. It's, it seemed like she was wearing like the same thing that Jordan Ladd was wearing. That's very possible. And again, I haven't seen the original in a while, so I could be wrong on that, but that's sure the way it seemed. Yeah. And I felt like like the effects weren't a big enough jump up to make it worth it. No. I mean, there was... Like, specifically the leg shaving scene, I felt like there was... A shit ton more blood. Yeah. But the effect itself was less effective. Effective. Yeah. Yeah. I I totally agree. Um, and that's uh, something I thought when I when I watched the movie. Like, even though I haven't seen the original in a while, that that's a, one scene in particular that really sticks out. In my that mind. sticks out for most people. Yeah. <laughs> and I re- remember that being just literally stomach turning. Mm-hmm. Like made me want to throw up. And that doesn't happen to me often. I mean, I I rewatched it before I watched the remake. Did you? Yeah. And uh like even watching it again at 32 years old, that scene I was just like, "Ooh." Mhm. But then in the remake it was just like she's just shaving and then all of a sudden there's just blood just everywhere. Yeah. And it was like, "Well, you didn't even really show any of the good stuff." Right. I mean, the the original was was awesome the, the the effects were done so well i mean it was really simple too it's like you could actually see the skin like peeling off of her leg yeah and but and then in this one it seemed like they tried to overdo that because there was part where she's literally just like folding skin back onto her leg i missed that part oh yeah or don't remember it or something yeah there's a part where she's literally like holding a chunk of skin and trying to like put it back on her leg huh because all i seem to remember is like she runs the razor on her leg and it it looks almost like a, a a bruise in the track of the razor. Yeah. And that was that's all I really remember. And then it like seemed like it's it kinda like montaged almost. A little bit, where yeah. Just like, you know, quick cuts. Yeah. And it was that was one of those quick cuts where she just had But like it didn't look like there was anything gross underneath. 
Right. It looked like it was skin on top of skin. Mm-hmm. Did, did Paul bang Marcy in the original? Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah. I don't remember that at all. I was kind of surprised. It was the setup was a little different in this one. They're in the kitchen. In the original, they were in her bedroom. Okay. Um, yeah. I really should have watched the original. Yeah. But just an unnecessary movie. I mean, that's that's my overall perspective of it it's just like this did not need to happen at all no and it doesn't add anything to the original story no it's not like he it's not like it gave it some new perspective or anything it's like i mean like you said this is much this is much less of a of a comedy mm-hmm. much just a straightforward much more a straightforward horror movie um and i think that actually like i can understand what uh, what was the director again? Travis uh, Tra- Travis Z. He's he, in the credits as Travis Z, but it's Travis. I think it's Zaruni. I don't know if that's entirely how okay. it's pronounced. But well, him. I, I can understand him trying to put his own twist on it. I understand that, but eliminating the comedic factors of the movie of the original, I think was. A detriment like it was not good for the movie i think the movie needed those parts in it this almost feels like a fan movie yeah like it's somebody got a bunch of their friends and they're like let's just do a shot for shot remake of cabin fever that would be fun yeah definitely yeah I could. but it feels like they didn't get any of the comedy <laughs> <laughs> and so when they remade it themselves they didn't actually capture that feeling right yeah and it's Working from almost an identical script, you know, he said that he used it, like, as, as a starting point. Bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck off. The dialogue is exactly the same. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. Oh, you know, anybody who has any experience in comedy, be it stand-up or... TV or movies, whatever. They'll tell you it's all about timing. Because you can deliver the same line in so many different ways and have it come across different ways, too. Yeah. And that's, that was that was the difference between this and the original. It's like it was all about how the lines were delivered. Because if you deliver it in comedic timing, then that's that's how it comes through. So, I mean, when you deliver the same line with absolutely no sense of uh, irony, I guess. Yeah. Um, then that that's just lost. And like I said, it was it was detrimental to the movie as a whole. And the, the funniest part, in my opinion, of the original is just completely gone from this one. Uh, which part? When Paul hits the deer. <laughs> And the deer just comes through the windshield and just bleeds everywhere. <laughs> that part is just not in this movie at all. No what, what, what about the acting? Passable. I mean, it was nothing I'd write home about. I've only seen one of these people before, like one of the main cast. 
I've only seen one of them before. I don't think I've seen any of them before. Yeah, a Gage Golightly played Karen. One of them isn't one of them uh, Alexandra Dario's brother. Uh, uh, maybe. I mean, yeah, Jeff Matthew Dario. Yeah. I mean, I just have to assume it's not an entirely common her, last name. Her little brother. There you go. Um, but yeah, Gage Golightly, she was in Teen Wolf for a, a while. Which one is she? She was Karen, the blonde. Oh, okay. Jordan Ladd's character. Yeah. Um, um, the finger bang scene was the same. It didn't add any more, but I feel like it wasn't any worse. See, and this is something that I, I guess I thought while I was watching the movie and didn't even think of it until now. Uh, the fact that it was so similar to the original, stuff like that didn't work. It wasn't shocking because you knew it was coming. Yeah. It's like, I mean, you watch, you remember that scene from the original, you mean, you remember being totally fucking grossed out by it. And then you see it happen in this one, and you're just like, eh. Yeah. It didn't add anything. It wasn't any, it, like, it needed to go an, an extra step somehow. Yeah. And it just didn't. Mm-hmm. The, the biggest difference is that they make out. In the original, they didn't make out. He just reached around from behind and gave the old bang, 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 bang. 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 <laughs> uh, that, there was a di- directorial difference there, though. Uh, they filmed from the other side of the bed. Oh. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> Nobody saw that coming. Now, that's the Travis Z stamp right there. <laughs> this is kind of inconsequential, but I remember them being in a, like, like an actual cabin in the original. This one was more of like a, I don't know. I have a hard time qualifying it as a cabin. It was a very large place. Yeah. In the woods. And I mean, if that's what qualifies it as a cabin, then whatever. But, um, the original, yeah, it was more like log cabiny. Yeah. Like yeah. Evil dead type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Not as d- disheveled, but sure. <laughs> because who the fuck would go in there? Right. <laughs> I would get my money back immediately. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, the acting I felt was like, it was fine, but it just, it didn't, it was definitely better in the original. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, that, that shop owner, whoever he was, the little kid's dad, um, like I can't, I can't even describe how bad he was. Like it stood out like a sore thumb. Yeah. I keep trying to like detail how bad he was, but I just keep coming to back. <laughs> He's just so bad. And I'm wondering what the decision to put the kid in the in the bunny mask was. The only bunny in the original is when Paul goes to the hospital. He's so out of his mind, feverish that he sees a guy in a bunny costume, like in one of the other rooms, mm-hmm. which was weird then. But <laughs> I don't know. It must have been just a a play on that i guess or a callback or homage and dennis every time like we talk about how the dog's name was pancakes Mm -hmm. and dennis every time he bites somebody he says pancakes yeah what is the deal with the pancakes i don't know 
I mean, pancakes are delicious, but yeah. But what's what's the significance? Yeah, but why? I don't know. <laughs> BB Harmon. <laughs> um, and then I, I thought the end was worse. I I thought the the ending to the original was better. Yeah, this was. Oh, and then the part after the credits. Oh, I didn't see that. Or not after the well, it was like during the credits. Oh, yeah, yeah. What what the fuck was that? That that's a sequel, is what that is. Which made me think they made this whole fucking movie just to set that up. Who? I can't believe I almost forgot about that. Yeah, I I completely forgot about it. Who? That was the first thing I thought as soon as I saw that. I was like, they just made this whole fucking movie just to set up another one. That's pretty um ambitious. Well, not ambitious, but uh, presumptuous. Yeah. <laughs> um, of course, I mean, they probably made this one for fucking pennies. Probably. They didn't have to pay anybody to write it or direct it. <laughs> burned. <laughs> Travis is so burned right now. He's all like, ooh. <laughs> I got to get some aloe vera. <laughs> um. Yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of done with this. Are you? Yes. <laughs> and pizza's here. So we're going to go ahead and pause this and eat some fucking pizza. And then we'll come back. Okay. We ended abruptly there. I don't remember exactly where we left off, except that we were about to do ratings. Um, we left off at pizza. Right. We ate pizza. That's why there was a break. Pizza was more important than you guys. Pizza is more important than a lot of things. Yes. Anyway, so ratings. Uh, uh, go, you go first. I'm okay. a little torn. <laughs> okay. Well, like I've said throughout the review, um, this movie was just so unneeded. Uh, it, it didn't offer anything new, um, and it. I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's just it's pointless. It was it was completely irrelevant. Well, I'm I'm trying to think of it as like I I'm a, I agree with you. This movie adds nothing to the original, but on its own merit, how is it? Okay. Uh God, it's it's so hard to separate the two. It really is. That's where I'm having trouble. Okay, well, on its own merit, you know, I did say that this was, it seemed a lot like it was like a TV movie. You talked to it, you referred to it as like a fan movie. And that was just really, um, that, that really speaks to like the caliber of, of, um, of acting and 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 flow, yeah, in the movie, um, something about it just didn't work. I can't really put my finger on it exactly. I mean, it, it may have just been a combination of all the things that were wrong with it, um, and I don't know. I mean, I don't think I'd ever watch this again. No, I don't think I would either. It's it's a disposable movie. Yeah. Um, 
I'd rather watch the original. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, it's it's so hard to separate the two because it has the original story, which was decent. So we, I can't really judge it on that. Yeah. So I mean, I guess I can judge it on the things that were different. Which were like the act, the acting, the delivery, um, the ending, uh, and those things just weren't that great. Um, this, you know, uh, trying trying to separate the two, but you know, ref- referring to the original, so where it had that comedic timing at times. Mm-hmm. This one just didn't have it, and it's like it, it, it left things kind of feeling kind of flat. Like, I mean, that's what a movie should do. It should make you go like this. Yeah. And the whole movie was just straight. I mean, like, you know, making hand motions. It, it should make your emotion level go up and down. And, I mean, that's that's what makes... Right into the microphone. Yep. Make your emotions just go plow right into the microphone. Yeah. Uh, and you know that's that's the important thing that their movie needs to deliver, and this one just didn't deliver that. So, um, four, I think. That's, I think that's where I'm leaning to. Um, like on on its own, it's not a terrible movie. No. Like you said, it's still, you know, a good story. And it's, you know, the effects are still good. They're not, they don't add anything to the original, but they're still good. Um, the acting is okay. It's not great. I would argue that it's not as good as the original. No. Uh, and yeah, the movie just kind of, I don't know. If If you're a fan of the original, there's nothing new here. And there's there's nothing that this movie's going to do for you to make you think any different than the original, mm-hmm. good or bad. So, um, yeah, I think I'm going to match you, and I'm going to say four as well. All right. All right, well, next up, got a movie that just came out uh, here a couple weeks ago. Just more recently than that. may have just been a week ago. Okay. Well, uh, it's in theaters currently. And it's called The Witch. Bah, 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 bah. Black Philip Sif, you are wicked. Does he really speak to thee? wilderness will not consume us. Who's there? You've cursed this family. This is witchcraft. She placed a curse on me. Why have you turned against me? I saw it. Your reign of evil. It's not safe. Not with them. Think how that sense. Ah! 
All right, so The Witch, um, it's a period piece. It takes place in 17th century, early 17th century, um, somewhere in New England. I don't think it says specifically. I don't remember. think so. Yeah. Um, but uh, this takes place <clears throat> a good 40 years, I think, before the Salem Witch Trials. Um, and before, you know, the colonies um, basically just went witch crazy. Um, it's a it's about a, it's a story about a family who lives in one of these. They refer to it as a plantation, um, but it's kind of it's like a village. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're ostracized I guess um, because the father um, not damn it William um, and I guess the mother too uh, Catherine are so devout in their faith that they find the the leadership of their village to be um not godly enough and the 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 council takes umbrage with that <laughs> basically tell him to shut the fuck up and get the fuck out right um kind of the precursor to freedom of religion i guess yeah. <laughs> um so yeah they're asked to leave and they uh they pack up their four kids which seems greatly irresponsible in that time. <laughs> That's still, I mean, unless you specifically plan for four kids, it's still irresponsible. Yeah, well, I mean, two of them are twins, so... True. Yeah, the two youngest are twins. Uh, the kids are uh, uh, Thomason. Um, Which is not a name I've heard before. No, me neither. I, and I wouldn't associate it with, with a girl either. No. Uh, the oldest is Thomas Thomason. Uh, the second is Caleb, and then the two twins are Mercy and Jonas. Um, they go out to, like, the edge of the woods, basically on the outskirts of where their village is, um, and set up camp. And then it kind of jumps forward in time. It doesn't really say exactly how far, um, but enough time to where they've built a house. Yeah, and a farm. Yeah, um, and they've just kind of started to make their lives there. They built, they grew a crop, you know, mainly, mainly corn, I think, or yeah, yeah. maybe it was only corn. Uh, I think it might have been only corn. Yeah. Um, and they've just been going about their their godly little lives. Um, and then, oh, they actually well, have they five, have five kids. kids. Yeah, <laughs> because they're they have a, a small. Baby, baby. Who, she uh, Catherine was pregnant when they left the village, and in that time had the baby. It was Sam, right? I think so. Let's I'm see. fairly sure it was Sam. I th I th I'm pretty sure you're right. Either way, um, There's something ominous about the woods. They can't really 
nobody really can identify what it is, but there's just... Well, the parents keep telling the kids, too, not to go in the woods. Yeah. Um, Thomason is out playing with Sam. Um, and she, it, she, it's a weird thing because she's she's playing peekaboo. And, you know, she covers up her eyes, opens them, you know, covers, 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 opens. And you she, know, how you play peekaboo. Right. But then she cover, covers up her eyes and pulls her hands away, and the baby's gone in, like, two seconds. Yeah. He just got up and ran. <laughs> right? He just booked it for the woods. <laughs> um, and not my chance. <laughs> <laughs> and then we follow this woman through the woods to her little shack. Her love shack. Baby. Like the song. <laughs> yes. Love shack, baby. It's my B-52. It's Tin roof. Rusted. <laughs> Your what? <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> I love the B fifty twos, but their music is so dumb. It is. It's so dumb. Um. Anyway. Uh. It, find out that this this is just an old, decrepit, gross-looking woman. Um. And <laughs> she proceeds to grind up the baby <laughs> like with a like with a mortar and pestle yeah um straight up make baby paste yep um and then rub it all over her body yeah her fucking fucking old Danny DeVito ass <laughs> with no shape to it all yeah it's just like like a potato <laughs> it's like a potato with legs <laughs> Um, and then that's kind of where this movie stops being interesting. I'm just gonna, really, I'm just going to get right to it. Um, the rest of the movie is, you know, they, 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 they search for Sam to no, to no avail. I mean, we know why, but they don't. <laughs> um, and then, uh. I mean, I'm not really sure how much of this, how much of the movie I should give away. Um, the, the 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 middle child Caleb is possessed by the witch, or infected. Yeah, I guess so. For lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, and uh, it starts like this. Kind of like um, witch hunt type thing within the family. Yeah. You've got the, the twins accusing Thomason of being a witch. Right. And then you've got Thomason accusing the twins of being witches. Mm-hmm. And these are all completely baseless claims. And because they are ultra devout, like, to an insane level... Um, they, they basically just say, oh, well, you know, Thomason's in league with the devil. It's like, oh, well, she must be because yeah. they said <laughs> it's like, oh, at one point he tells her, he's like, get on your knees and tell me that you love Jesus. And it's like, oh yeah, that's how you, that's proof. Yeah. Um, yeah. And 
And then you've got the, the, the goat, the creepy goat. That goat was, yeah, cool. Was it, was it Black Phillip? Yeah. Um, it's just this midnight black goat with, like, like horns that I'd never actually seen on a real goat. Like, you see it in, like, like images of, like, Baphomet and stuff. But on, like, an actual living goat, I'd never seen just, like, straight pitched back horns like that. Oh, the, the guy that I saw walking the goat up on Capitol Hill had horns like that. Really? Yeah. The goat, not the guy. <laughs> I can't figure it um, yeah, was, yeah, I saw a guy walking a goat. People, <laughs> that happens in Seattle. <laughs> like, apparently, we were uh, we were walking our dog, and we looked across the street, and he was just right in front of the grocery store. And I was like, what kind of, I was like, what kind of dog is that? And then, like, I got a little closer, and I was like, that's a fucking goat. <laughs> awesome. Was it black? Yep. Awesome. <laughs> well, it was kind of grayish. No. Oh. Yeah, I mean this goat. Like, sung Satan. Yeah. <laughs> like I kept trying to figure out if it was a real goat or like an animatronic because there was times where it ha- almost seemed like it had facial expressions. Yeah. Kind of. Um, but like I said, I mean, like this. This goat was just midnight black. Had yellow eyes. Um, yellow eyes. He had yellow eyes. <laughs> So help me God, yellow eyes. Uh, yeah, there's this sh- straight, kind of curved back horns, um, and uh, like a like an actual goatee. Yeah, it was just something I just I don't think I've seen often on a goat because it looked almost like a Van Dyke or something. <laughs> <clears throat> But, I mean, like, seriously, any images of, <clears throat> any, like, satanic images where their, like, goat imagery is used, that's exactly what this thing looked like. Yeah. And it was weird. Um, but, yeah, but like I said earlier, I mean, when, when, the, when the baby's taken and then, you know, Caleb is possessed and that whole thing, that, that's all this movie really had. This movie was... Almost two hours of just a historical fiction. It was. It, it would have been better served as just a historical piece, showing just like the everyday life, I mean, something they put on the History Channel, showing the everyday life of a early seventeenth century family in, in New England. This movie was slow uninteresting repetitive boring and predictable the, the end you saw the end coming yeah hmm exactly how it happened not seen not cut for cut but yeah I mean the general premise yeah hmm I did not it was I mean that that's actually the biggest complaint that I've seen is the ending how pre- how predictable? Well, not no, not so much predictable, um, but uninspired. Hmm. I was bored to death with this movie. I was falling asleep in the in my theater chair, literally falling asleep. I had huh. kept snapping myself back to what, back to awake. I it I definitely agree with you that it's slow, but I found it interesting. Um, the only thing is, like the 
parts in between, it kind of just it it drags in between moments. Uh, but one thing that I, I found really interesting is that the main character is Thomason. Yeah. Most of it, you're you're following her, and you know she's she's the focal point of the story, and yet you still don't really know if she is a witch like the twins are accusing her of being. It, it it tries to create that doubt, I guess. And, you know, maybe for some people it was effective. For me, it didn't really work. It worked for me. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe different strokes. But, yeah, for me, it's just like, well, I never really thought she was a witch. Hmm. I mean, the suggestion that she was is and maybe it's because I am so far removed from anything religious that I just don't capture that feel that it was delivering, like a kind of theological fear, fear of things evil. I just don't, I don't subscribe to that kind of shit. Neither do I, though. Well, sure, yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that this is at all related to your your opinion or or how you um, think about it, but it's like you definitely have members of your family that are far more religious. True. Um, as where I I don't. I mean, like I have I have family that are Catholics, but you know, I just I for most of my childhood I didn't spend a lot of time with them. Well, most of my my formative years. Yeah. And so I just didn't really have that connection in a in a even even though like. You you didn't pick up their beliefs, yeah. But you were around that kind of stuff. And just I don't know, but like I said, I'm just speculating. It may not be true at all, but um, but for me, it's just I don't know. I, I thought that it, it did a good job of creating this mystique of is Thomas in a witch? Are the twins witches? Is one of the twins a witch? Is no one a witch? Which, I mean, obviously, from the beginning, we know there is a witch. Sure, yeah. And that, that was the thing for me. It's like... I, I did, s- after that after that part, I kept wondering when we were going to see her again. Exactly! The movie's called The Witch. <laughs> and The Witch is in the movie for five minutes, maybe. I feel like they probably would have been more successful if they hadn't had that opening scene. Because then you, there would be more mystique about who, like who took Sam. Yeah, sure. Um, it's it's it's. I, I guess it, it's kind of misdirecting a little bit because yeah, it does present you with this witch person. Yeah. Um. But then, later on, tries to make you think that there's another witch. Right, which is I, I don't understand. Is there is someone field. like possessed? Is there are there multiple witches? It's it's a little little thin connection there. Yeah, and you know I can understand that it's you know maybe trying to make you uh, feel that that hysteria that was so prevalent during that time. Yeah. Um. But I don't know. It just didn't work for me. Hmm. Because the assumptions that these people made for me it's just like what where did that come from well yeah but that was also i mean you know if if you 
are familiar with the witch trials and stuff, that's what happened. No, and I understand that. Um, but if you're going to incorporate actual supernatural forces like witches and the devil and, and things like that, you need to focus on that and not do this speculative shit. Yeah, I agree that with you. Isn't relevant to the A story. I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, what should have been the A story. Yeah, I, I think showing the witch right off the bat was a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. If you could have created a movie completely surrounded by the, the like, the, the movie was about the hysteria of it, mm. just, you know, the, and the turmoil it causes in this family, it would have been way more interesting. But I the agree. fact that you set up this abduction of this little baby by an actual witch, it just it ruins it. Well, yeah, and then because the, the you know you got them all pointing fingers at each other, saying he's he's the witch, she's the witch, they're the witch, mm-hmm. but the whole time you're going, no, none of them are the witch, right? Because you already know. Yeah. So, it's just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, people are saying that this is like, um, like a, a step for horror, and I'm just it's no, it's not, not at all. I I find it I found it creepy. Uh, it's not scary. The the difference in my mind being scary is like there's something around the corner. Creepy is like there's something in your soul. Sure. So th- this movie is is creepy. It it kind of gives you this icky feeling inside you. Um, <clears throat> and I'm sure for people who are more religious, it it does strike much much harder. Yeah, oh, I can imagine. Um, I did find the people hard to understand. Yes, that was another, and not just the way they spoke, like their voices. Yeah, especially William, the dad. Yeah, he had a really deep voice. Yeah, and a very thick accent. And a very big beard. <laughs> he did have a big beard. Because <laughs> like, the beard was like blocking the words from coming out of his mouth. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that's a complaint that I had. I haven't voiced it, but um, a complaint that I had like <laughs> when me and my wife were watch- walking out of the theater. Um and Caleb sounded like he had a mouthful of meat at most of the movie. <laughs> mouthful of meat. <laughs> Not in a gay way. <laughs> oh, and Caleb was a little creeper, too. I mean, I guess it wasn't yeah, well, entirely his fault. That was never really explained, either. Like, what was the deal with that? Well, I mean, he's... He was always looking at his sister's tits. Yeah. I mean, he, he was like a, what, 12, 13-year-old boy? Yeah, and, the and old, she was the only one around. Yeah, nobody wants to look at his mom. She was gross. She was gross. She was all sh- sinewy. She looked like fucking Zelda from Pet Cemetery. <laughs> um. Yeah. Just, yeah, he just stared at her sis at his sister's tits all all day, and we never got to see him. I don't. I don't think she's old enough. We saw her ass. Did you though? We saw somebody's ass. Yeah, it was kind of shrouded in darkness, and even if yeah, you could kind of see it, it was maybe not her. Yeah, there's probably I, a good chance of that. I I, I could be wrong. She I, I, she did not look old enough. She's a little cutie though. I'll give her that. <laughs> Says that she was born in Miami, Florida. It's like really, and then she said, 
she lived her whole life between Argentina and England. So, oh, uh, so yeah, this is this movie. It seemed like it was trying to focus on too many things at once, and it was hard to understand. Uh, the ending was, for me, predictable, and like many other people have said, really uninspired and just lame. <laughs> but like, like I said, I mean, a lot of people are saying that this is the the next big thing for horror. See, I wouldn't go that far. No, it's it's absolutely not. It's just this is like the same level of people saying that like, um, uh, you know, movies like The Babadook are the next big thing, and I would say that I would argue more that The Babadook is more effective as a horror than this, and you know how much I hate The Babadook. <laughs> So much that you gave it a six. Um, fuck off. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I don't really have much else to say about it. All right, well, just give me a number then. All right. Uh, two. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I didn't, I definitely didn't love it. Um, <clears throat> it's hard for me to even say I liked it. But I did find it interesting. I thought it was creepy. I definitely don't think this is any kind of giant step in any direction for horror. Uh, but I think it's it's a fine movie for what it is. Uh, and I do think, again, for people who are religious, it it would strike a lot deeper. But I also don't think those people are going to go and see it. So it's not that kind of defeats the purpose. Um, I thought it was fine. I, nothing earth shattering but overall it it did keep me uh uh involved and it did i did find it creepy uh so i think i'll i'll give it a six all right all right so those are the reviews and that leaves us with but one more matter of business to attend to tony i need a noun Swinging dick. And an adjective? Fuck ugly. And a verb? Dry hump. And a noun? A Sibian machine? And a verb? Lubricate? And a noun? Uh, Taylor's mom's underwear? Dude. <laughs> adjective? Uh, promiscuous. And another adjective. Butterscotch flavored. And a noun. Refreshing beverage. All right, so now it's time to see how Tony has rewritten the movie Gremlins. (laughs) Just right off the bat. (laughs) Don't expose him to swinging dick. Don't ever get him fuck ugly. And don't ever, ever dry hump him after midnight. <laughs> yes. Seeking a unique unique gift for his son, a Sibian machine inventor purchases a cute... <laughs> this is going so well. <laughs> purchases, purchases a cute, fuzzy little mogwai from a Chinatown shopkeeper's grandson who dispenses the above-mentioned warning before closing the deal. Meanwhile, 
Young bank clerk Billy Peltzer must lubricate such antagonists as rich bitch Mrs. Deagle and priggish Gerald while pursuing Taylor's mom's underwear with Kate. (laughs) (sighs) These and a variety of other plot strands are tied together when the promiscuous mogwai named Gizmo is exposed to bright light and gotten wet. In short order, the town is invaded by butterscotch-flavored predatory gremlins who lay waste to everything in sight as Billy and Kate try to contain the refreshing beverage. That went pretty well. That was a pretty good one. (laughs) Those three (coughs) rules, those are the new three rules. (laughs) Don't expose him to swinging dick. (laughs) And don't dry hump him after midnight. Before midnight, it's fine. All right, so that's going to do it for this show. Um, we'll be back in a couple weeks. Um, I think we're going to have an interview, correct? Yeah, that's the plan. All right, so we'll have that. Um, plus, we're doing something a little interesting with the next episode. Taylor, would you like to explain? Uh, we're, we're calling this our second time around episode. We're going to review two movies that we reviewed on the show before. One which we enjoyed and no one else did, and one that we hated but everyone else liked. Yeah, uh, the movies are Tusk and We Are Still Here. Yeah, we're basically going to find, we're, try to identify whatever. The, like with with Tusk, they're gonna we're gonna try to find what everybody else hated about it, and with what well, We Are Still Here, we're gonna find out why everybody liked it. Yeah, <laughs> or pretty at much least attempt to. Anyway, um, so, yes, that's going to be in a couple weeks. Um, anything else? Uh, listen for Drunken Cinema coming soon. Right, yeah, uh, it's uh, probably Friday, I'm thinking. That's usually what we do. Yeah. Uh, make sure you check us out at graveplotpodcast.com. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow us on your social network of choice. Yeah. So, uh, check us out there and... Again, we'll be back in a couple weeks. Until then, I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. And this has been the Grave Plot Podcast, where we're all a little dead inside. When I look out my window, many sights to see. And when I look in my window, so many different people to be. That it's strange So strange You got to pick up every stitch You got to pick up every stitch You got to pick up every stitch Oh no Must be the season of 
some old soul look over.